This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I'm a fixer. Like when I see something wrong, I will often go, you know what? There's a solution to said problem. We gotta, we gotta address this. Something's wrong, something's not quite right, you gotta address it. Well, the Blazers and the NBA have a problem. Maybe it's not a huge problem by NBA standards, because the Portland Trail Blazers, you know, they're a small market team. They're not a contender. Like, they're not high on Adam Silver's priority or his to-do list, right, if we're being real about what plagues uh, the Trailblazers, what plagues the NBA. He's got other problems. He's got to be negotiating a television deal. He's got uh, the idea of uh, uh, collusion by the players and some manipulation of the free agent market, super teams being built uh, while players in the offseason are sitting around uh, talking in gyms and playing pickup games or texting each other. You have Damian Lillard asking for a uh, trade or demanding a trade. And the league having to send a letter saying, hey, you can't quite manipulate things the way that you and your agent are doing it. Uh, beware of that. But, but Adam Silver's got a problem. He's got a problem in Portland. He's got a problem in that one of his NBA teams doesn't have an owner. It's flying without a captain. I'll use a different metaphor. It's a ship that is adrift in the ocean, and it doesn't have a rudder. Because if you think about what ownership really is when it comes to professional sports, it's not just the person who's paying the bills. It's not just the uh, the billionaire who's sitting courtside, if it is a billionaire. It, in a lot of cases, you see nowadays that it's these uh, these uh, groups, these consortiums of 25, 30 people that come together. They put a face on it. But uh, one of the things that you have to remember is you know, an NBA owner, an NFL owner, a Major League Baseball owner, it's not just the person who's paying the checks and sitting courtside or sitting in the luxury suite or showing up to the meetings. This is the person who is setting the direction, the tone, the culture for the organization. And in Portland, you've got a case with the Trailblazers uh, where you have a trustee who is the acting owner of the team. You have a trustee who's not invested financially, who's not invested emotionally, who uh, has some skeletons in her closet. Let's be clear, Jody Allen's got some things in her closet, uh, Had uh, was accused by her bodyguards of sexual harassment, uh, was uh, you know ha- the subject of an investigation over some giraffe bones that were smuggled out of Africa. She's got some things in her closet that make some people uncomfortable. It, but, it, but the biggest sin that Jody Allen has committed to this point is that she has been too slow to let go of the trailblazers and we know what it's about like any attorney worth a damn will tell you that uh, the trustee of an estate can collect a fee for managing the estate and my suspicion is that jody allen likes that fee 
that maybe I don't know what did Paul Allen leave her in in uh, after his passing? Maybe she is collecting three to percent, five percent of what the Blazers are worth, three billion dollars as an annual management fee. I don't know what it is, but it's a problem for people in Portland because you have a NBA franchise that is operating without any kind of direction, that doesn't have an acting owner. It's rudderless. The Blazers are adrift. They don't have ownership. And you wish that Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, could be a little stronger. Now, he had some comments to, on this front. And I want you to listen carefully to what Adam Silver, NBA commissioner, said today in response to whether or not he would force a sale uh, of the Trailblazers. The board has not discussed uh, compelling a sale of the team. And obviously, within a reasonable time, is subject to interpretation. In the case of Paul Allen's estate, is one of the largest estates in American history and highly complex in terms of his assets. So I know um, I've, I've spoken directly to Jody Allen, his sister, and the trustee of the estate, and they are working through those issues and, in the meantime, continue to operate the team um, in, in, in a first-class manner. Look, uh, the complexity of the estate is an interesting uh, thing to me. And it, it, it fascinates me because you have seen the luxury yachts be sold. You have seen real estate get sold. You have seen the art collection. Paul Allen's art collection got auctioned off. It, was, it, was, it brought a record windfall as the auction house was all too happy to sell it. Now, you know, his wishes in his will were to have his estate liquidated and to have the assets from the estate fund his passion projects. And I'm sure there are charities and there are causes that are out there that are sitting around wondering, like, hey, where's the money? Like, you know, hey, uh, you know, it's nice that he's donated that, but Jody, like, where's the money from the Blazers sale? Now, maybe selling a sports team is a little more complex than selling an art collection or selling real estate or selling off one of the yachts uh, that come complete with a submarine. But I'm left thinking that the NBA cares less about the Trailblazers than some of its other franchises. You've seen the NBA Board of Governors get involved in compelling the sale of other teams. You've seen the NFL get involved in the Daniel Schneider case most recently and, and force the sale of, of one of its teams. Uh, it's not good for the league for the Blazers to be in limbo. It's not good for the city of Portland. It's not good for the franchise. It's not good for fans. And hell, I hate that I have to start today's radio show by talking about the fact that Adam Silver and the NBA need to be a little more proactive when it comes to quote-unquote ownership of the Trailblazers. Yes, it's fine that uh, you know there's an estate that needs to be unpacked. Everybody understands that. But we're talking about an owner in Paul Allen that passed away several seasons ago and we're talking about an estate that has been carefully unpacked and I can't help but think that the reason that the Trailblazers were three billion dollars are among those assets that haven't yet been sold off is because they are the Trailblazers and worth three billion dollars is Jody Allen sitting back collecting a management fee on this is Jody Allen ever going to talk about it and address it publicly beyond uh, a veiled statement in which she says, you know, it could take 20 years to have this team sold? I think her stakeholders, her fans, uh, the, the people who are buying tickets, the sponsors, the players, the general managers, the coach, and media all deserve an explanation from Jody Allen. And I think she should come forth and address this because you've got the commissioner of the NBA literally being asked by national media members, hey, 
Would you ever compel the sale of the Blazers, or why haven't you done it to this point? Stephen, I'm going to have you play that clip again, because I want to unpack it further. Listen again carefully to what Adam Silver, NBA commissioner, says when he's asked if the Board of Governors, the other owners in the league, would compel the league to uh, force a sale in Portland. The board has not discussed uh, compelling a sale of the team, and obviously within a reasonable time is subject to interpretation in the case of Paul Allen's estate is one of the largest estates in American history and highly complex in terms of his assets. So I know um, I've, I've spoken directly to Jody Allen, his sister and the trustee of the estate, and they are working through those issues and in the meantime continue to operate the team um, in, in, in a first-class manner. Disagree with that last part. First-class manner? It's going to be one of the worst rosters in the league if Damian Lillard's not on it on opening day. It's going to be a team that struggles to be relevant and put on a compelling and entertaining product on most days. Uh, October the 15th, 2018, Paul Allen passed away. This October, it'll be five years since his death. And the Blazers under Paul Allen's ownership, look, they weren't perfect. They made mistakes. They lost their way and got their eye off the ball. But I at least can give Paul Allen the credit, uh, the fact that he loved the team and that it appeared to have a rudder, it had a direction, it had oversight. It doesn't have those things right now, and I think it's killing the trailblazers. Steven, what'd you make of Adam Silver's comments? Yeah, the first the first thing was exactly what you just touched on there. First class manner, that couldn't be farther from the truth. Uh, <laughs> that is not the way that this organization organization's been ran. And you are right, like this roster, if Dame's not on it, is not gonna be a very good roster. And it, it's been like this for years ever since Paul Allen died. Now, even when Paul Allen was around and he was owning the team, it wasn't as if the Blazers were contenders every single season. Like, I think we get that mixed up a little bit where Paul Allen was a great owner and he cared and he was much better than what the Blazers have now, but the Blazers weren't contenders then either. So it's not as if it's fallen off so much, but it's just gotten worse and worse every single year. And so the fact that, you know, Adam Silvers has to answer these type of questions, that is a problem. Like, you're getting the Wall Street Journal asking about this because... Paul Allen was such a you know high uh, you know high end guy that everyone knows about his estate. Everyone knows about the reality of what's going on. And now that the Blazers just appear like they are going nowhere and they're going nowhere fast, like this season is going to be nothing. It's all about the future. And Jody Allen just seems to be sitting back and being okay with what's going on. It's just not a good situation, John. It's sad that that's what it's turned into. Um, you know, from a national level, when everyone thinks of the Blazers now, they're thinking, oh well, Jody Allen's the owner. But is she really the owner? Because she shouldn't be the owner, and she needs to sell that thing. I don't think that Adam Silver would have the same viewpoint if this were the Lakers. I don't think so. I don't. I think if it were a flagship franchise in the NBA, he would be far more concerned about the fact that it doesn't have an acting owner, that you've got a trustee who for almost five years now has been left in charge and kind of gone, ah, eh, it's on autopilot, let it run itself. That is the manner in which the Trailblazers run, not on a day-to-day operations or a game-to-game operations standpoint, but the overall 20,000-foot view is that this is a franchise that has been largely neglected by its owner, doesn't have direction, doesn't seem to have a plan. Uh, The Damian Lillard negotiation, if you can call it that, is a great example of the fact that you don't have an owner. You don't have somebody in the room who can say, yeah, we want to keep that guy, or no, we don't. We need to go out and get value for him, and here's how, and here's why. The Blazers appear now to just be kind of idling uh, in the middle of the uh, of the lake without really knowing what direction they're going to turn. I think it harms Damian Lillard. 
It harms the Blazers organization. And then you've got fans, stakeholders, sponsors who are sitting around going, hey, what's the plan? Like, show like show the cards a little bit so we can figure out that there's a plan. And I, I think for Adam Silver, I think, you know, uh, clearly he serves the owners. But for Adam Silver to come out and say this is an organization being run in a first-class manner is a farce. And secondarily, in a, you know, what is a timely fashion, cool, it's been almost five years. The yacht's gone. The real estate's gone. The art collection's been sold. Why haven't the Trailblazers been sold? And that's a question I think Jody Allen should be asked publicly, and I'd love to hear her answer to that. Is it that much more complex to say, hey, we're going to sell an NBA team, or is she waiting for something else? Or worse yet, is she just sitting back collecting a, collecting a management fee on the $3 billion uh, you know, uh, appraisal of the, of the franchise? I don't know what the answer is there, but I know that this organization is lost with Jody Allen in charge of it. I want phone calls, 503-417-7575. Tell me what you make of the Trailblazers, Adam Silver, coming out today uh, and g- talking with the Wall Street Journal about uh, whether or not he would compel the sale of Trailblazers, Inc. I think if you're a Blazer fan, it's disappointing to hear that because I think you've got, um, obviously, a case with Adam Silver in the NBA that they're treating a small market team much differently than a, than a large market team. Do you think for a second, Stephen, that if this were the Lakers, that Adam Silver would be sitting back going, you know what, you know, timely fashion, you know, uh, you know what's a complicated estate, like it's any more complicated to try to sell the Blazers than it was to try to sell a yacht or an art collection or a bunch of real estate that he owned. No, I think you're right on with that. Um, unless you're George Klyovkov, who was you know reactive as well. But I think Adam Silver would be proactive in the situation if it was the Lakers or the Knicks or one of those type of teams that is a you know a more noticeable brand. He would be out in front of it and he would not let this drag on for five plus years and have all these questions. Like all those questions you just had there, John. It's it's like we all have these questions. We've been wondering for you know five, six, seven, eight years. Like what's gonna happen? And we have no idea. We've got no answers. There's just no direction right now with this team. But you know, I want to ask you: Are you surprised at all that this is the way Adam Silver's going about it? Because I'm not. Like, yes, as a fan, I'm disappointed that he's not going to step in and really try to get this franchise forward and get a new owner in here. But I'm not surprised with that. That this is the answer. Like, I don't really know. I, I never expected him to really forced the sale away from Jody Allen. I, I just never thought that was a real case. So are you surprised that he's come out and he said that publicly? Well, look, he is a, I'd rather use a scalpel than use a sledgehammer guy, right? So, so behind the scenes, I think he's going to be far more interested in pulling out the scalpel and trying to make sure that he achieves whatever goal it is. And so maybe this doesn't serve him uh, to sit uh, publicly and, uh, you know, try to put some fire or put some pressure on, on Jody Allen. Uh, so so maybe you're right in that he can't come out and publicly say it. But clearly, he serves the owners of the NBA. And I think he is looking around at other owners and going, I'd be really reluctant to try to step in and force a sale for fear that the other owners would go, oh, could that happen to me? Uh, you know, if I if I don't manage my franchise correctly, is it is there a potential that Adam Silver could come in and try to force a sale? But you know, look, I have always believed, like, maybe I'm naive. Maybe this goes back to the days of Kennesaw Mountain Landis in the Black Sox of 1919. But when Joe Jackson and and his uh, teammates got banned from baseball, I saw the role of the commissioner to protect the integrity of the game and to protect the game itself. And I 
found out uh, as I grew up and you know left adolescence that the commissioner's job in Major League Baseball and the NBA and the NFL wasn't at all what I had imagined it to be as a 12 or 13 or 14 year old kid. The commissioner's job in baseball and NFL and NBA was to make their owners as much money as possible, to back up the truck, to make it rain, so to speak. And so Adam Silver, in this case, I think is probably giving the answer he's giving because he's serving his owners and he is serving the billionaires of the league and he's not serving the franchises. And it's a shame to me that I look at a franchise like Portland that should have vision, should have direction, should have a captain at the helm going, that's the direction we're going. And instead, uh, this is a franchise that is going to head to training camp with a star player who wants out, wants nothing to do with the franchise, still under contract. you got a coach who we still don't know if he can coach because the roster's never been right. you got a general manager who is promoted from video coordinator on up the chain, and you have uh, an organization that doesn't have a roadmap. Like, this isn't good. And if Adam Silver's job was to protect the game itself, I think he would come out, or at least behind the scenes, be pushing Jody Allen to hurry up and sell the team just like she sold the artwork, just like she sold the yacht, just like she sold off all of his real estate. Um, You know, the Blazers had to be the next thing in that lineup. But for whatever reason, maybe she likes owning a team, maybe she likes being Queen Bee, I don't know, buzzing around the NBA. Um, she uh, is clinging to the team in a in a manner that is almost like a, a headlock. Like she's got the Blazers in a chokehold. Is it just because she hasn't ruffled enough feathers? Because you go back to like Donald Sterling, like he was forced out because nobody liked him. Like all the owner, all the other owners did not like him at all. And like you said, Adam Silver is protecting the owners, not protecting the actual brand of basketball, the NBA. Is it because the other owners just don't care about Jody Allen, and that's why they don't necessarily want to have this be pushed out there? Franchise doesn't matter. Blazers don't matter. Blazers don't matter to the league. They don't matter to the other owners. They are a non-factor when it comes to the playoffs. They are a non-factor in Adam Silver's mind. And that's why I say if it were the Lakers or were the Chicago Bulls, you know, if this were the Miami Heat and they were just kind of floating along for five seasons without an owner in charge, I, I think the NBA would be far more interested in what was going on because the Blazers being bad doesn't hurt the league. The Blazers being bad is what people expect. Because it's a small market team, and that's where small market teams tend to live, in that ecosystem. So I think the league is probably looking over at the Blazers and going, eh, you're about what we thought. Let's not wake a sleeping giant. Because what would happen is, you know, much of the same way where the Blazers got into Paul Allen's hands, if they fell into the hands of a billionaire owner or somebody who was super motivated, yeah, it's got the fan base, it's got the arena, it's... You know, there are some things that are lined up in Portland that are not lined up in some other small markets that could actually work and have worked historically. But I look back, I look at this whole drama that's playing out, and I'm left going, look, Jody Allen, she's not really an owner, but she's the owner. She's the trustee. She has this sexual harassment allegation in her past. She had a hostile work environment with a, with the general manager that happened on her watch. She had, uh, you know, the, a scandal with uh, the USDA accusing uh, her her uh, people of smuggling giraffe bones out of Africa. Um, she's got some stuff that I I wonder if she were the acting owner, and I wonder if she were a man. I, I wonder how much more of a problem it would be in the NBA. I'm just saying, like, I, you know, if you had if you flipped the script 
and you know Jody Allen had passed away and she had lost her beloved team and handed it over to her brother who's got a sex harassment allegation in his in his file he's got uh, a settlement with bodyguards that he harassed of the opposite sex he's got giraffe bone smuggling he's got all this mess I just don't know if Adam Silver in the league would be okay with that feels like there's a bit of a double standard there I want phone calls blazer fans is this on your radar at all or are you so turned off by what you see that you're going to check out? I kind of wonder. 503-417-7575. You tell me. I'm fire, all kinds of fired up about the Trailblazers. You want to talk about it? We'll talk about it on today's show. I wrote a column today at johnconzano.com that uh, may deserve your attention. For those of you who have had coaches or teachers in your life, who have mattered to you, who have made an impact, who have um, you know made a difference and, and really sacrificed, you will, uh, you will get a kick out of and maybe connect deeply with the piece I wrote about Roland Amuller, who is uh, a former coach at Milwaukee High School. I say former because on Friday night, um, Om, the coach known as Om, died. He was 59 years old. He is uh, on his way home from Milwaukee High School's football game against Park Rose. They won the game. They were 2-0 and and sitting pretty uh, in, in play. And they thought Coach Om was asleep on the bus. And as it turned out, uh, he had passed away. They tried CPR. They tried to wake him up. And he did not wake up. And I wrote about today all of the coaches and teachers who were out there who give so much of their time and their effort and their energy in pouring into kids, whether you are a track coach or a wrestling coach or the yearbook advisor or a driver's ed teacher, high school and junior high school campuses are filled with people, counselors, teachers, coaches who have these giant hearts. And Coach Om was one of these people. And he was a big, giant person. 6'3", 295 in the Portland State uh, media guide in, in his playing days. Uh, he was north of 300 pounds nowadays, 6'3", three, about 3-something, three who knows. But uh, for people who remember him as a Portland State football player in the Pokey Allen era or a fixture as an assistant coach at Milwaukee High School, it was a real loss to lose Coach Om on Friday night. Big vigil on Sunday at Milwaukee High School drew... They said hundreds. It looks like a thousand people when you look at the photograph. But here to talk about it a little bit, longtime Milwaukee High School football coach Ken Buckles, the guy who hired Coach Om 33 years ago, is joining us. Uh, coach, thanks for making time. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Give me an idea. Uh, when we talk about Roland Amuller, what are we talking about? Gosh, you hit the head on the. Uh... You just hit it so right, and your article is so beautifully written. What a tribute. Um, he just, uh, I, I was actually blown away Sunday night also by the number of people and the people coming up commenting, boys and girls, athletes, non-athletes, um, kids in the band, uh, you know, not just football. He, he just married that all those kids, and that was his life, for 33 years and the money he 
spent on them and feeding them and bringing peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and uh, it, it's it's just it's awe-inspiring. Uh, there truly could be a movie made about that kind of guy. He was just an amazing, amazing man with a huge heart. And he, when I hired him, he was very intimidating looking. He was massive. He lived in the weight room. He was extremely weight room strong, and he looked it. And uh, um, gosh, and to think, Jerry was just this awesome football player. I remember watching him play at Portland State, and, and but he was such a big, gentle giant. Uh, uh, just amazing, a huge, huge loss. But uh, Ken, I could I, go I, on and on. Yeah, Ken. Let me ask you this: that you know, you you meet with him. I I want to say he was about a twenty-five or twenty-seven-year-old guy when you met with him. He dies on Friday. He's fifty-nine. He's poured like thirty-three years of his life into the kids at Milwaukee High School. Did you expect yeah. that? Did you did you see that coming? Like a, as a twenty-seven-year-old guy, was did you see the love of kids when you hired him? Well. The thing that's interesting is when we greeted, and I, I said I always wanted to meet you and enjoyed watching you play at Portland State, and he was with a teammate of his who was the safety, uh, Mike Peterson, and he, Roland says, I want to coach high school football somewhere. I want to give back to the game. And that statement I said Sunday night, he wanted to get back to the game. Look what he not only gave back to the game, he gave back to an entire community for 33 years, uh, just, yeah, I, I just, and I went to Milwaukee, I graduated in 72, I, I knew a lot of old timers and the stories and the, and the coaches and the history of Milwaukee, and I can, I can say without a doubt, there's not one, not, not even close, that has put in the time and effort and his own money, and uh, for not just one not just the football program, but everywhere in the in the pro in the high school and even and in the weight room, and just it's uh, it was very inspiring, and it was that a lot of us came away from that thing saying, you know, we've all got to you know look into our hearts and do more. If you really want to honor this guy, try to uh, you know try to live like he lived. You know, just he just loved people, and. Uh, and it's amazing, too, because uh, I didn't know this. I knew that his grandfather fought for the German army on the Russian front and was badly wounded, but a cousin came up and said that the family was deeply affected, and Roland never talked about it. His parents moved to the United States right after the war, but uh, the Nazis, when he was badly wounded, returned back home, and he didn't report back when he was getting better. He didn't report back. Nazis came and executed him, and uh, so it was. You know, just that that memory. And his father, you know, remembers going to school with bombed out buildings and kids, and it shaped. You know, that he his father was very strict and hard working, and he was raised on a farm in Sandy, and and just strong, strong work ethic, and that carried into his, you know, into the weight room and playing sports and uh, and. He just pushed the kids. He loved them, but he would push them. He pushed them hard. He demanded them, demanded a lot out of them, and had high expectations. And but if you if you love kids and respect them like this, they'll respond for you. You know, and they would 
they would run, literally run through a brick wall for Coach Ahm. Ken Buckles, our guest, longtime Milwaukee High School varsity football coach. Um, look, um, I I heard stories about Coach Ahm bringing peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, Gatorades. What are we talking about here? Would he make those at home? Yes, I guess that, uh, that's my understanding is he would make them and bring them and and have them kids after practice or in the weight room or, you know, even during the winter sports and track season and, and give kids Gatorade. And, and I've heard of things where he helped, helped pay for certain things, like if it was a shoes or a, a letterman's jacket, you know, just stuff like that. Just We have no idea how much he did except that, you know, there was, they could have gone on and on and on with kids speaking. Actually, kids, the, the, my, the class in uh, 90, 91, 92, back in there, I think they're all in their late 40s now. So you're talking guys and men and women in their 40s and 30s and 20s clear down to these teenagers were saying things up the mic. And just every testimony was just amazing. It was very emotional. The so. the, the football team itself this season, 2-0, and feeling pretty good after the win over Park Rose. Will they rally? behind him because I have to think he would be there whispering in their ear like hey focus on on what what's important here go out and have fun and go win games you know I I gotta believe that I I believe especially at the high school level that uh, emotion uh, can play a big part in in sports we've seen momentum changes and things like that Uh, I know that a lot of alumni are pushing for everyone to go to their home game this Friday night at Milwaukee High School, and i got to believe that this is, you know, you, you take about 50 kids, there's, they're all going to be motivated a little bit different, but i got to believe the majority of them are just, you know, we're going to do whatever it takes to get this for coach on. But I also know that there's some kids that, you know, I, I've heard, to the school that there's some kids really struggling, which makes sense. You know, some of these kids uh, don't have father figures in their life, and he was the father figure. So it's going to be a tough emotional night, and I and uh, um, my wife and I will be there and support the Mustangs. Coach, give us an idea of, you know, the impact. You know, you've seen it. You've had it yourself, and, and I got to be – I got to thinking about – coaches and teachers that I had that made a difference, but the impact that, that educators have, you did it, you coached 16 seasons as the varsity coach there, like you weren't doing it for the money. No, I know, and everyone I played college ball with and my friends and relatives all made twice, two and three times the money I ever did. <laughs> it is what it is, but uh, uh, you don't go into it for the money, that's for sure. But it just, it, what, I'm so grateful that you recognize uh, a, a whole bunch of different areas like, the, you know, the band, the, the newspaper teacher, you know, that, all that stuff. Yeah. Because I, I, that always, I was just in awe in different departments to see some of these teachers and different coaches in different areas that were just, they gave so much and they spent a lot of their money and, and it really, it's hurt us a lot for the last 30 years, the constant attacking teachers and coaches. Uh, and you see it especially in social media. And, that, and I, I believe this. I've been around the block. Yeah, there's, there's some bad apples in every single profession. And there's people that shouldn't be teaching. There's people that shouldn't be coaching. There, you know, 
in every profession. But I'm, I'm here to tell you that uh, the majority of them just love these kids. And, and I've become friends with a lot of the coaches that I coached against over the years. And they're, they're all the same. They give so much to their community, and they, they just love the kids, and the kids love them back. And, and I, I, you know, we, we, I wish more people would acknowledge that, and, you know, and focus on a little more of the good, the positive. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you... You were talking about that now, and you wrote about it. I appreciate you, Coach, and thanks for everything you did in in 16 seasons of leading kids. You're now doing something with veterans. Can I take a minute here to let you tell people what you're doing? Well, you know, it's uh, interesting. My father was a Marine in the Korean War who committed suicide a couple days before a football game in 1984 where I was a varsity defensive coordinator. And we had our worst practices of the week. We couldn't even practice. The kids knew him. They were devastated. My stepson, who was all state both ways, or, um, uh, was devastated. And those, and uh, on paper, we should have lost Friday night. We were playing a team just as good as us, and we crushed them. Our kids, I mean, the emotion those kids played with, and they gave the game ball to my mom. But um, because of that, that led to me honoring veterans at Milwaukee High School where we'd bring them to the high school, those who wanted to speak, and, and we'd uh, uh, feed them lunch, and we'd, the kids would recreate a Bob Hope USO show and to honor them. And little did I know that the coaching career went on the back burner and has been on there ever since. This blew up into a nonprofit called Remembering America's Heroes. High school kids named it, our heroes are veterans, been to this is the 28th year, been all over the United States, been to 49 high schools, done all kinds of stuff, uh, wrote three books called Remembrance, Volume 1, Volume 2, Volume 3. It's just, and I've met some amazing, amazing, amazing people. A lot of them are gone now. and uh, But it's been, I have no regrets. You know, I have no regrets. I, I, I love my years coaching at Milwaukee, and I continued to teach there until 2010. And we did the big event at Milwaukee for 15 years, and the kids just were awesome in how they rallied and supported and honored our veterans. Um, and uh, it's, it's really funny as I, I started a chant in the, this week, <laughs> 35 years ago, on Friday, on our first pep assembly at Milwaukee, I said, I introduced a chant to the pep assembly, and I yelled out, Mustang born, and I had the kids chant back, Mustang bred, going to be a Mustang till I'm dead. Well, they still do that to this day. <laughs> and Sunday night, I said, hey, can we uh, can we do this and yell to the heavens and wake rolling on up, up there? And, and it's the loudest I've ever heard that chant. And uh, so it's, it's a really cool special community and he gave he just he united this whole community again and it's really a, what an honor well Ken I appreciate you giving time I'm not surprised that you're still helping people even after you're done coaching and teaching so thank you for what you're doing and thanks for joining us thank you so much sir Take care. All right. There's Ken Buckles, longtime coach at Milwaukee High School. If you want to read about Coach Om, I wrote about it at johnconzano.com. It's front and center. You can check it out. You don't need a subscription to read it. Just give it a look. Coming up, we're going to talk about the Pac-12. Eight spots in this week's AP Top 25, the most in conference history. Can they hang on to them? More ahead. 
I just want to point out that the Pac-12 conference is kicking butt. Pac-12 schools occupy eight spots in this week's AP Top 25, most in conference history. Previous high was six. Pac-12 just the second conference in the history of the AP poll to have eight schools ranked in the same week. Do you know the other? The SEC. Pac-12 also 20-3 and in non-conference games this season. Uh, that is the best win percentage among all conferences this season. And, um, by the way, that 20-3 and record includes a 6-3 and mark against Power 5 conferences, which is also the most non-conference wins and the highest win percentage against the Power 5 uh, among conferences this season. It is uh, The Washington at Michigan State game is interesting because that's the only remaining matchup between a Power 5 school this season. Um, according to the Pac-12, I, I don't agree with that. Don't Stanford and USC play Notre Dame? Like, there's other opportunities there. So uh, we'll see what happens coming down the pipeline there. But uh, I think Mich- Washington's going to win at Michigan State. That Mel Tucker thing is awfully distracting. And I want to unpack that a little bit right now with you, Stephen, as we look at the games. I don't want to give your picks, but we do this, you know, we do this kind of um, – the lean, more or less. Where are you leaning as it pertains to some of these games? And that's easy for me to do because I've been looking at the Week 3 games and you got a whole bunch of lopsided games like Weber State at Utah. That one is going to be lopsided. Idaho at Cal. North Carolina Central's at UCLA. Northern Colorado is at Washington State. Sac State is at Stanford. That one might be interesting because Troy Taylor, the Stanford coach, used to coach at Sac State. And... Um, and that's about it. Like, those games are all going to be lopsided. Any of those games, of those games, if you had to watch one wire to wire, you're forced to watch one of those FCS versus FBS games wire to wire. Weber State, Utah, Idaho, Cal, North Carolina Central at UCLA, Northern Colorado at Washington State, uh, Sac State at Stanford. Which of those games, gun to your head, you go? You have to go see? Oh, man, I uh, I guess it would be... Uh, I guess it would be Washington State, Northern Colorado. I think it's that for me because, you know, Washington State coming off that big win against Wisconsin. You know, I don't think it matters. I think they're going to get the win anyways. But um, I think that would probably be uh, the most interesting game just to see how they react to coming off of that big win. And then they have a big game the next week against Oregon State where it's probably going to be 3-0 and versus 3-0. and So uh, I, I think Washington State and North Colorado is my answer. I would go – I, I kind of lean towards – yeah, the Washington State game would be interesting because, you know, they have to be – 3-0 and for that Oregon State-Washington State date in Week 4 to, to work. But the game that I'm kind of curious about is Weber State at Utah, and it's because I want to see if Cam Rising's going to play. And if he does, how much? And how does he look? And do they treat that like, hey, let's get Cam some work. This is like an exhibition game because Utah should win that. They could win the game without him. But if he's going to be ready for conference play in Week 4, do they bring him out in the Weber State game and get him some action? That would be my only reason for watching that game wire to wire. The other games, San Diego State's at Oregon State. San Diego State got boat raced by UCLA last week. And I think a lot of people expect that, by the way, the Beavers have covered the point spread eight straight games. Longest streak in the country. Eight straight. It's phenomenal. San Diego State's not been great either. Uh, 24 and a half is the spread right now on that game. Uh, do you have a lean there? Uh, yeah, I've already uh, made a bet of the Beavers covering this game. See, <laughs> More I, than a lead. I've uh, I, I, I had lead. the unfortunate uh, decision. I watched San Diego State Week Zero against Ohio, even though they won yeah. that game. 
they are not a very good football team, and usually they're they're really good on on defense. They're not this season, and so I don't you know they have a below average offense. The defense isn't very good. I don't see how they can stop Oregon State in that offense, that running game. You know, and being in Corvallis, being at Reeser Stadium, I think I think Oregon State is going to put it on them. They're going to be in the forties. Like, I, I don't ooh. know if San Diego State scores. I think San Diego State's going to get seven points. That's where I'm at right now. I haven't figured out how much Oregon State's going to get, but. I'm leaning towards them covering the game. My official picks will go out Thursday. Uh, I'll have them on the show. We'll have them on online at johnconzano.com. Uh, Hawaii is at uh, Oregon. I want to get to that game. 5 p.m. Saturday, Pac-12 Network. Oregon's favored by 37.5. Do you have a lean? Um, I would lean Oregon bounce back game. Uh, come on, Lanning's talked about just making up for all those mistakes, and they had a lot of mistakes against Texas Tech that weren't even physical. It was just mental mistakes that they could have fixed, and they've been talking about it all week. I think they're going to come out and play really sharp against Hawaii. We saw what they did against Portland State. I mean, they can get you know fifty and a half if they need to. So I, I don't think Hawaii puts up much of a, much of a uh, a game. We saw Hawaii play Stanford, and Stanford was you know running it, passing it all over Hawaii. I, I think Oregon can do the same thing. I take Oregon. I think. Oregon's week two game against Texas Tech was actually a week one game. And what I mean by that is the 81-7 to win over Portland State, they didn't get anything out of it. They had guys out of the game early. I don't think they got the normal week one experience. And coaches will all talk about that, that quote they love to use, hey, the biggest improvement comes between week one and week two. I actually think that Oregon didn't get a week one. And so the mistakes they made in week two I think were – really reflective of a team that was playing its first full game and they got tested and they got pushed and they won the game and I got to give them that I got to give them the resilience part of that equation I think Oregon was very resilient in that game against Texas Tech and a road win in college football is a big deal that said I it was ugly and the offense didn't look great to me second and third quarter especially too much Bo Nix running around I didn't like that so I want to see less of that. I think Hawaii's the perfect patsy. They are the perfect week three opponent. You get Colorado next week. If you're a coaching staff, you can peek ahead, start preparing for Coach Prime and the Buffs while you're beating Hawaii's brains in. Oregon's going to cover that 37.5. I haven't come up with a score yet, but I think they're going to cover it. Uh, let's go to uh, Washington at Michigan State. 2 p.m. Saturday on Peacock. It'll be streaming. Line is sitting around 16, 16 and a half. I, I think Michigan State has some problems. Mel Tucker's a distraction, and there are times when players and coaches will rally and they'll come to they'll rise to the occasion when a coach gets fired or suspended. I don't think this is one of those times. I think Michigan State is a mess. Uh, I do think they have you know the grass field helps them. Washington hasn't been great on grass. Everybody's kind of looking at that. Christian Capel of uh, on Montlake was looking at that. He covers Washington football and pointing out that like they were 0-2 on grass last year. And I just, even though they're on grass, even though Washington's on the road, I don't think 16 or 16.5 is enough. I think Washington's going to win that. I, I actually we go differ on that one. I, I think Michigan State stays within the number. Washington wins easily, and I think it's not really a question, but I think Michigan State stays within a 16, and it, it's more because it's at Michigan State. It is the grass situation. I do think that does a little bit of a factor um, when it comes to Washington, but I, yeah. I think Washington will be in control for most of this game. I think Michigan State just stays within that 16, but uh, easy win for Washington on the road. The, the thing for me when I looked at that game was I go, how will this team react to not having Mel Tucker? 
Are they going to – is this going to be the free mail Tucker game? Or is this going to be our coach is a mess, our program's a mess, can I look into the portal, how soon can I get in there? Like, I'm wondering if what Michigan State's players are thinking. We'll find out on Saturday. Fresno State's at Arizona State, 730 on FS1. Fresno State, a Mountain West team, favored on the road against a Pac-12 team. The Bulldogs live for these games. These are like bowl games to Fresno State. They feel dismissed. They have a chip on their shoulder. They're playing at ASU, and ASU's not very good. Fresno State's favored by three. They're going to cover the three. They're going to win that game. Jeff Tedford's too good a coach. I mean, what a weird season for Fresno State. They go on the road, beat Purdue in Purdue week one, then they come home and beat Eastern Washington in overtime at home. So it's just the two ends of the spectrum. I, I, I wouldn't disagree. I think Arizona State gets the win. I think Kenny Dillingham gets those guys up for another week. It'll be more towards conference season when they realize, you know, we're not going to a bowl game. That's when they maybe, you know, get shellacked in a couple of these games. But I think they can keep the mo- motivation up. They were in that game with Oklahoma State for a while last week. I think they get the win over Fresno State. UTEP, Texas El Paso, at Arizona. 8 p.m. Pac-12 Network. Arizona's a 17-and-a-half-point favorite. I think you really have to decide how Jaden Delora is going to play, how you, how you play this game. I'm leaning towards taking Arizona to cover the 17-and-a-half. I just think they're too good, and I'm, I'm waiting for Delora to have a really good game. I think this might be it. Yeah, Delora, four interceptions last week against Mississippi State. I think he bounces back, has that big game, and uh, Arizona puts it on UTEP. There it is. Well, our official picks on Thursday's show. Tune back in. We got Punch It Audio coming up uh, in the uh, top of the hour. Plus, later in the show, Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, will be joining us. We'll talk about their big game and their 2-0 and start in conference play. They're ranked and feeling pretty good. Uh, Jonathan Smith coming up at 524. I really had a good time yesterday talking with Bruce Barnum, the Portland State coach, on the show. Those of you who called in and we're listening, you know what I'm talking about. Grab the podcast if you missed that interview. It's a fantastic interview. Hour number two is at. you ever get a half day when you were a student, Stephen? Do you remember getting a half day? Oh, we're out early today. Early release. That was the best feeling. The best feeling. I don't remember a half day. I don't know. I, I remember days off, but I don't remember a half day. Why do they do a half day? An educator's going to have to tell me. Is a half day so they can get credit for the state from the state so they get their funding still, but then they have an in service in the afternoon? It's gotta be. It's gotta be about the money. There's gotta be an angle. <laughs> There's no way you would have kids come to school, bus them there. I mean it can't know? it can't benefit the kids in any way. Can it? It yeah, I think it I, I think the kids get away with hell on those half days. Because, you know, because they know, they show up like it's, um, they show up like it is a uh, day after Halloween. You know, the kids are all sort of amped and the teachers can't do it. They show up knowing it's a half day. You know? That's what they do. I, I do know. I was uh, I was at my son's soccer practice after the show yesterday, and it was the tip, the classic second week of school. You know, first week they get tired, second week they have all this energy. They were just out of control and just running around like crazy people. I uh, took my hat off to the coach on that one. That was not for me. I think um, th- there's a <laughs> – the funny thing is I've coached youth sports teams. I've coached little league teams. I've coached volleyball teams. I've coached soccer teams. I've even coached track, CYO track, and, and you know, kids that are third, fourth grade, whatever. I can tell you that one of the most frustrating things 
for anybody who's coached youth sports is um, the lack of when you get those days where the kids are just having their lack of attention span not cooperate. That's basically you get days where they're scattered and you get day and you also get some inconsistency. And I know because I've often laughed and I go, I'll leave a practice and I'll go, why can't they be more consistent? And then I remind myself they're in third grade. That's why they're not more consistent. Like there, there's part of their, you know, brain development that's not there yet. And so you just kind of get them all, all over the place. But the really good youth coaches get kids to focus for, you know, for 15, 20 minute periods. And then they change what they're doing. And they're really like a really good youth sports practice is a practice where there's not a lot of standing around. I see too much standing around when I go by fields and stuff like I, you, know, you shouldn't be standing around. Everyone should be moving. Everyone should be interacting. Kids shouldn't be lining up and taking, you know, waiting for seven people in front of them to field a ground ball before they get their opportunity to field a ground ball. Like the movement. That's why you have multiple coaches out there and you get them moving. You get, uh, you know, get reps. They need touches. They need reps. But, uh, you know, they don't, they want snack time at the end of it. So you're right. Like you look out and you see your kid and everyone's going buck crazy on the field. Uh, you know that uh, you know that you're. That's a day where you you're glad you're not the coach. So I digress. Um, let's play some punch and audio. How about that? We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here. Okay, which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, Bruce Feldman of The Athletic, fantastic reporter and writer, veteran scribe. He thinks that Colorado's got a puncher's chance against Oregon and USC. Here's Bruce, punch it. If you have difference makers, which I think the quarterback is, and I absolutely think, Hunter is, and, and these other guys are good players. I don't know if they have enough of them, but you might have a puncher's chance against one of these games because this is what happened against TCU. You know, Travis Hunter decided to be Superman in the second <laughs> half and made some crazy plays, and that can happen. Now, unfortunately for, for them, they're going to play the closest thing to Superman in college football in a couple of weeks when USC goes there. Look, um, respectfully disagree. I think you have to acknowledge that Colorado has played well. You have to acknowledge they're 2-0, and and they're going to be 3-0. and But I see flaws. I see flaws that good teams are going to exploit. The inability for Colorado to run the ball will bite them. The inability for the Buffaloes to stop opposing rushing attacks will hurt them. Oregon's going to run the ball all over Colorado. USC is going to score a whole bunch of points. Puncher's chance to find that puncher's chance. Like Buster Douglas, puncher's chance. You know, yeah, I guess, any given day. But I don't agree with Bruce. I think he's playing a little bit to the Colorado crowd and falling victim to the hype. These are good teams that Colorado's going to run into in week four and five. These are contenders. These are not, this is not Nebraska who has a quarterback who can't catch the ball. This is not TCU missing. 18 starters from the team that played in the national title game. This is Bo Nix in Oregon, and they're going to score. And, yes, Travis Hunter is a fantastic player. I love him. Shadur Sanders looked all right in week two. Missed some easy ones. 
And I just don't see Oregon falling prey to that. And I think here's another point. Oregon's playing Hawaii this week. And I know Dan Lanning says this is the game that matters. I sort of suspect that they will be focusing on Colorado this week, as Colorado will be fo- focusing on Oregon. It isn't at all about can Colorado keep Shador upright. In the first half, he was under a lot of pressure by Nebraska, and they didn't score many points, right? Like They struggled offensively in the second half. They got some blocking. They got him some time, and that's when he can take advantage. I just don't know how they're going to block Oregon. Right, like you know, the Oregon pass rush is still a good pass rush. It's the mo- you know, it's gonna be the best, uh, most talented defensive line that they faced all season. I-, I just don't know about it. But what do you think that spread's gonna be? Assume both teams are three and zero. Going Colorado, going to Eugene. How many uh, points are they favored by? The number that popped into my head was Oregon minus six and a half. Hmm. Yeah, I think I would take Oregon. Does that feel right to you? I feel like it might even be higher. I feel like it might be closer to ten. Nine and a half. I think nine and a half. Fascinated by I that. I think I would take Oregon. I'm going to put that out. I'll put that on Twitter. I wonder what people would say. What will that spread be? Robert Sala talking about Aaron Rodgers. Jets had a very emotional week one. Aaron Rodgers ran out of the tunnel with the flag. Four plays into the offensive season. Done. Or is he done? Here's Robert Sala punching. Well, I, I, I haven't gone that, down that road with him. Um... I mean, I'd be shocked if he's if this is the way he's going to go out. But uh, but at the same time, for him, uh, he's got he's working through a whole lot of headspace uh, things that he needs to deal with, and uh, that will be the last thing I talk to him about. That'll be the last thing if he retires. I don't know. At some point, they got they got to have that discussion. Are you coming back or not? And Aaron Rodgers got to, as a as a person who gets injured, as a, as a high level athlete who gets injured. Aaron Rodgers, between his own ears, has to make a conscious decision if he's coming back or not. I've talked to athletes who have had these kinds of injuries at his age. The athletes that make it back and do so in a meaningful way will make a conscious and very public declaration. I'm coming back. This is not the end of me. I'm not going out like this. I like, I'll be curious to see if Aaron Rodgers does that. I, I kind of think he can't go out that way. Right? Roger Goodell, NFL commissioner. He took a stance on gambling in the NFL. Keep in mind, the NFL's got partnerships with gaming partners. They also have a looming problem as players have been wrapped up in gambling scandals. Here's Roger Goodell talking about it. Punch it. Well, uh, you start with the, the, the first point, which is, Integrity of the game is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And, and gambling can provide a risk there. And it's something that we have to be aware of. And we always were. But when the Supreme Court changed law several years ago, we had to adapt. Uh, sports betting is now legalized instead of just being illegal. So we have now legal and illegal sports betting. Right. So it's out there, and we have to educate all of our personnel. We educate over 17,000 people mm-hmm. a year. And it's constant. Um, they, they have to understand that if you're involved with the National Football League, being involved with betting on the National Football League is not acceptable. I noticed what he didn't say. He didn't say, we're, we're considering whether we should be involved in these business deals. He didn't say, you know, maybe it wasn't the best idea that, you know, we got involved with these deals. 
Now, Roger Goodell is saying the the uh, responsibility falls upon the players, and we got to educate them. But you're not unwinding this one. You're not putting the toothpaste, so to speak, back in the tube. Another example of a commissioner saying it's about the money here, guys. Uh, we're getting a lot of money for these betting organizations, and we're going to keep taking it. So we you need to, you need to learn uh, how to deal with it. Adam Silver, NBA commissioner says he doesn't like when players demand trades. Keep in mind, he represents owners. Punch it. In terms of trade demands, of course, don't like them. As a league, want players and teams to honor their contracts. And I'm watching both the situation in Portland and Philadelphia and hope, hope they get worked out to the satisfaction of everyone before the season starts. And I'm glad that things seem to have settled down somewhat, at least in terms of public discourse. I think it's interesting that he said things have settled down because I don't think Blazer fans feel like it's settled down. It kind of got paused, I guess. There's been less talk about it, but it's still a huge looming problem that has to be dealt with. You know, it kind of reminds me of uh, people who uh, get a bill and they go, I, I don't want to pay this bill. I'm going to stick it in the drawer like it goes away because you're not looking at it, <laughs> you know. That bill's still coming due, Adam Silver. Do you think, um, do you take into, it, he said that he hopes it gets resolved before the start of the season. Should I be reading into that a little bit? I Keep in mind he represents owners. So what does resolve mean? That Damian Lillard denounces he's okay being a blazer? I don't know. I don't think, I wouldn't put too much into it. Okay, because I, I took it as like, okay, well, you know, they're going to try to get this trade done before the season. Maybe Dame will be not in a blazer uniform at training camp. Because that's the, bla- the way, that's way yeah. I'm leaning. The problem is the blazers are non-compliant. <laughs> they're just, they're not going to be compliant here. I got news for you. If they make a deal, it'll be because they think they're getting over on someone. They're not going to make a deal where they go, oh, I think we might be getting host, but we got to get this done because the season's coming. That's just not going to be Jody Allen and Burt Cold's viewpoint. They're going to want to avoid public ridicule, ridicule and avoid looking like they got had. And I think that's, um, that's a really important distinction. Adam Silver also was asked, has there been any discussion about forcing the sale or compelling the sale of the Trailblazers. Jody Allen is the trustee. Paul Allen's will dictates that the organization should be sold and that the proceeds be used to fund his passion projects. The position of Jody Allen to this point has been, hey, we're working on it. These things take time. Here's Adam Silver when he was asked about it. The board has not discussed uh, compelling a sale of the team and obviously within a reasonable time is subject to interpretation in the case of Paul Allen's estate is one of the largest estates in American history and highly complex in terms of his assets so I know um, I've, I've spoken directly to Jody Allen his sister and the trustee of the estate and they are working through those issues and in the meantime continue to operate the team um, in, in, in a first-class manner. I don't agree with the first-class manner thing. It makes me want to vomit. It's not first-class. Adam Silver, come visit. Come hang out at a Trailblazers game with Blazers fans. Tell them that. Hey, it's a first-class experience. Just it's ask. Not. Just ask Blazer fans. See how many say agree with you in that situation. There'd be about zero yeah. percent. Uh, yeah. I mean, the end of that. It, it's so appalling. 
you know, continues to run the team in a first-class way. I mean, can you say I serve the owners without saying I serve the owners? Like, here, I mean, listen to the end of that. It's uh, Adam Silver. And they are working through those issues and, in the meantime, continue to operate the team um, in, in, in a first-class manner. <laughs> to say that with a straight face is impressive. I just don't, uh, I don't get it. Blazer fans would not agree with that. I mean, how would you characterize how the team is operated? And, and it's no reflection on, like, the day-to-day operations of, like, Dwayne Hankins, the president, or even Joe Cronin, the GM. I don't think that's, when I hear that, that's not what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about, like, just there's no, this is not a first-class thing. Give me a break. The word I would use is incompetent. Like, that's just what it is. Yeah. Giannis speaking out. Giannis, uh, is he going to be a Milwaukee Buck for life? Is he going to be a Milwaukee Buck in the short term? Long term? Punch it. I'm a Milwaukee Buck, but most importantly, I'm a winner. I want to win. And uh, I have to do whatever it takes for me to win. And if there's a better situation for me to win the Larry O'Brien, I have to take that better situation. What is he saying, Stephen? He's saying, hey, Milwaukee, do something or I will want out of Milwaukee. Because, you know, that, you look at the Bucks team and they have some good players still. Um, you know, Drew Holiday's still there, but, the, you know, Chris Middleton is getting old. Drew Holiday's getting old. Like, they are an older team. Giannis is not old. He's going to be he's gonna be peak Giannis for another seven, eight years. So he wants he doesn't want to fall into a Damian Lillard situation where he's waiting for more and more pieces to come in. He's playing proactive with it. Because you know what? he says he wants to win, and it's about championships. And it, it's kind of opposite of what Dame did. Dame's like, yeah, no, it's not really about championships. It's about being loyal. Giannis says, yeah, I'll be loyal as long as you can help me out and you can get me where I need to go. So I like what Giannis is doing in this situation. Put put some pressure on the small market bucks to make moves, and they have in the past. Like I said, trading for Drew Holiday, they traded a lot of first-round picks for it, and it worked. It got him an NBA championship. I imagine the Bucks are going to try to do some things to make Giannis happy because he can't lose that guy. Can't lose him. Can't let the Lillard thing happen, and this is the difference. You got ownership in Milwaukee. Let's see how they react to uh, this uh, shot, this warning shot that Giannis is firing out. Because the Blazers didn't heed Damian Lillard's; they just, you know, kind of status quoted it. Yeah, we're gonna rebuild around. But, him. but if Dame would have done it when Giannis did, you know, Giannis is still in his twenties. If Dame did it when he was twenty-seven, twenty-eight, mm-hmm. different story. Yeah, and I think it would have forced the Blazers to do more, or at least they would know eyes wide open. Pat McAfee, finally, he thinks it doesn't matter that you or I do or don't believe in Colorado. He thinks Colorado believes in Colorado. Here's Pat McAfee, punch it. But what's happening on the field? Crazy. Insane. Yeah. This is a turnaround that is quicker than anybody else. And they believe, which is Dion's big thing, like, Mm -hmm. do you believe? Yeah. If you don't believe, hey, we're going to get you the hell out of here. Every coach says that, but he's been able to actually do that. They believe they need... They need to dominate everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's not like, yeah, the Pac-12 is the best it's been in a long time. You're going to have a lot of tough games coming up. Mm-hmm. Think about that Utah team playing against this yeah, team. Yeah. I mean, that's old school football. Oregon State playing against that mm-hmm. team. DJ Uyunglele, USC playing against Man. that football team. I mean, there's a lot of great – Oregon. I mean, there's a lot of teams over there in the Pac-12 that they're going to have to get through if they want to get to the spot in which they could potentially get to, which is college football playoff. But they believe they can. And after watching them, why not? Yeah, yeah. how can you – Why not? Like – they have the mindset for it, the mentality for it, and I think we haven't even been introduced to some of the star players that they have on their roster. 
Look, there's a lot of hype around Colorado. There's a lot of pandering going on right now. Have you noticed this? Some of the national shows that typically focus on the L.A. and the New York markets have figured out that there's an appetite for Colorado. Fox had 8 million people tune in to watch a football game. There's an appetite for Colorado. And so what you're seeing now nationally on these shows is you're seeing people shovel the Colorado propaganda. I'm not buying it. Hell, we're talking about it. I'm not buying it like they are. I think Colorado's done some nice things. But Oregon, Colorado in week four, I mean, I don't think it's too early to talk about that game. Who wins it and why? 503-417-7575. You want to talk about it? Because Pat McAfee says Colorado believes in Colorado. I think we're seeing Colorado's best right now. And I think that's a difference, though, between some of the teams that they'll play in the subsequent weeks and now. Like, we didn't see Oregon's best in week two. I think we saw Colorado's best punch in week one against TCU. Travis Hunter's great. Can he keep it going for a full season? I don't know. Shadur Sanders looks really good in week one. Eh, iffy in week two. What's he going to look like against... Oregon and USC. And by the way, he looked iffy against a Nebraska team that was only rushing four. thought that was interesting. What do you see? 503-417-7575. Who wins the Oregon-Colorado game and why? I want your phone calls. 503-417-7575 is the number. You tell me. Oregon and Colorado. Is it too early to talk about this football game? Who wins the game? How, How many points? And what should the spread on the game be? 503-417-7575. I'm going to put that out as a poll question on Twitter, Stephen. Here is what I'm going to put out. The question is, what will the point spread be when Colorado and Oregon kick off in week four? Now, the options, tell me if you like these options or not. Oregon by one to four. Oregon by five to nine points. Oregon by 10 to 15. And Oregon by 16 plus. Are those good numbers, or are my numbers wonky? Yeah, no, I like I like that because it's it's basically you know field goal game, a touchdown game, or is it you know two touchdowns? So I, I do like those. All right, I'm going to put it out right now. What do you think is going to win? I the think um, I want to say five to five to nine. Is that what you said? Five to nine. Yep. Yep. I think that one. What will the point spread be when Colorado Oregon game kicks off in Week Four? And I'm going to put that out and. I'm going to ask people publicly, and let's see what happens. I, I mean, because I would have to – I would lean 5 to 9, but I also think it may get up to 10 and double digits because, I mean, think about this, John. Like, going into the season, first game, Colorado, yeah, it, that point spread was wrong, but it was, what, 24 against TCU? Yeah. And then they moved to be three-and-a-half-point favorites against Nebraska at Colorado. So when you're going on the road to Oregon, I mean, that's got to be a big spread unless they're just going to – really adjust that and say that Colorado's on par with Oregon, which I don't think that they are. I mean, just using our eyeballs and watching the games, Colorado is not close to Oregon or USC right now. They're just not, and I want them to be, but I just don't think that they are. Keep in mind that the point spread, we all think of it on this show, and when you and I are talking about games, we think of it as the actual point spread, like what we think is going to happen in the game. But that's not what the sports book is thinking about. They're thinking about what? They want half the money on one team, half the money on the other team. So they often will adjust that line. doesn't really have to do with their prediction. Like, yeah, they may set an early line and then adjust it. But I think there is a whole bunch of that money that flies in on Colorado that is uh, based on sort of the hype and the hysteria 
in the brand that is being created by Colorado football. Now, Oregon normally benefits from that, and that's why I think this point spread is interesting because, you know, we've had the the bookmakers on the show. Like, we've brought on the bookmakers, and, and I've asked them that question, like, when you when you put an Oregon game on the board, what are you thinking? And they sometimes will pad that Oregon game with some points because they know people are going to bet Oregon because they love the brand of Oregon. I think the Colorado thing neutralizes that. I agree with you because Colorado, as we just heard, you know, in the last couple of weeks, from all you know all angles, is Colorado is really good. Every single analyst, Colorado, they can compete. Even Bruce Feldman said they have a puncher's chance against Oregon and USC, which, I mean, I guess they do, right? Like Buster Douglas, like you said, yeah. knocked out Mike Dyson. But I saw it. Do, yeah. do, I mean, do they really have a chance? I guess if Shador's on and Travis Hunter. So, you know, I don't think that they're on that level quite yet. I think, you know, being in the top 25, I think that's right right now. I think they're a 6-7 win team. They're a bowl team. I think that's, you know, good enough. That's a great season. I think they're a 5. I have them at 5-6. So you have them at six seven. Yeah, I mean, I've but, always been a little higher on you than you, John. Yeah. But I, I think there's six to seven wins. But again, I think there's going to be some matchups in the Pac-12 season when you get to conference play that are not going to be ideal for this team. I'm looking right at Oregon State. I'm looking right at Utah. Those teams are they should line up and smash Colorado just by the way that they play. First hundred votes are in. I want to wait for a larger sample size. Let's go to the phone lines. Sam's in Portland. Sam, what do you think? Well, before I make my prediction, John, I wanted to thank you for your article today. I missed your discussion earlier, but uh, Coach Om was just a wonderful human being. I had an opportunity to work with him at JDH uh, back in the late 90s, and uh, I hope they they renamed the field. He was just a class act and a a really big heart, always treated me with respect and kindness, and, and so I just want to thank you for your article. He was a wonderful person. Um, with, with that said, you know I'm a Beaver fan, so this has more uh, to do with my hope that Colorado can do it. But I'm going to predict uh, Colorado 34-30. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game, and I think both teams will be, you know, have the kinks out. But I, I believe in Colorado, and I think uh, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game, and I'm, I'm going to call 34-30 Colorado. 34-30, you're picking the upset. Sam in Portland, Mike dropping it. He's picking Colorado. What is this? What is this going to be? What is this uh, this game and this score going to be? What is the point spread going to be? Well, don't you think once both teams are three and zero, that there's going to be more and more team people as we get closer to the game that's going to be picking Colorado? Like that'll be yeah. such a good, fun upset to pick. All right, uh, I've got some, first of all, th- you have to understand on Twitter, I put, what will the point spread be when the Oregon-Colorado football game kicks off in week four? And then I thought, if I don't clarify point spread, people are going to misunderstand the question. They're going to say, what is who wins the game? And, of course, Daniel on Twitter says, none of the above. Colorado wins. <laughs> you got to pay attention. Daniel, I'm not, I don't want to embarrass him. But right now, we've got 173 people who have voted. Five to nine points is 44% of the vote. Second place, one to four points with 29% of the vote. 10 to 15 coming in third, and 16 plus is coming in fourth. So most people think five to nine. I think your number's right, because at first I said six and a half. I think it's going to be like nine and a half. I think that's the number. 
Maybe, maybe seven and a half. But I, I don't think it'll be under seven now that I think about it, because I think people are gonna, um, I think people are going to uh, reappraise. Yeah, I think it can't be below seven at least to start. Um, you know, once they get some money on the Colorado, it may go lower. But I think it's definitely got to start over seven. But the question is, does it get to ten and double digits? I think that's a lot. But I, I, I would favor Oregon by more than ten. I voted five to nine because I think it's going to land at about seven and a half, eight and a half points. But I would favor Oregon by you know eleven, twelve, thirteen points. Like I really do think that, that you think that that's better. the real number. The, the real number is eleven, twelve. That Oregon will win by double digits. I do. I think Oregon's going to win by double digits in that game. So I'm really hoping that the spread is you know at seven or below seven. I'll be taking Oregon and I'll be uh, laying those points. Does the Dan Lanning factor come into play? Because Dan Lanning called out Colorado, said, "What have they won? Will that matter?" Or you know, I also think. You know, we haven't seen – I didn't really get a feel for the environment in week one. Did you get the, a feel for the environment at TCU, that Colorado was in a hostile place to play, that it was all TCU fans, in the way that Autzen Stadium can be, or will it be a new experience for Coach Prime's team? I think it will be a new experience because there was no expectations on Colorado week one. That was their whole thing is no one believes that we can go in and win, so it's the world against us. Now, if they're 3-0 and going to Eugene, there's going to be people that are picking Colorado, John, and that, that are going to win that game. So it's going to be a different environment because all eyes are going to be on them saying, we expect you to be in this game. We expect you to be close at the end of this ballgame against Oregon. So I, I think it's going to be a different environment. Austin Stadium is going to be really loud for that game um, because, you know, they, they want to get after Coach Prime. That's just what it's going to be. So, I, I mean, that game is going to be so much fun, John. I can't wait. The point spread at kickoff. What will it be when it comes down to uh, Oregon and Colorado? I want to go to the phone lines. Mark's in Portland. Mark, welcome to the conversation. First of all, uh, any any of the Beaver fans calling in or whoever's predicting Colorado to win, can you set it up for me so I can bet these guys? Because they won't put money on it. <laughs> and I think when you said nine and a half, that's the number – the people I know that are, they're, they're, you know, they're guessing nine and a half, and is it going to go to nine or ten is what they're saying. So uh, it's going to be over a touchdown. The game's at Austin Stadium. It's, you know, uh, even if you're an evenly matched team against Oregon, you got to give them four or five points because they're at home. And the, the teams right now, I mean, I don't like the game. I'm not, I don't know what to bet there. I think Oregon wins the game, but I mean, Colorado to me looks like a solid football team. So anything can happen on game day. So, you know, just, I'm wait not, a minute, I'm not, wait a minute. Are you backpedaling now? Are, are you backpedaling? Hey, on the money line, I'll bet Oregon wins. I don't, I'm, I'm just saying with the points. Yeah. I think, I, I think, uh, I've changed my mind a little, you know, I like my money and yeah. Oregon hasn't shown me with, you know, their their defense I think the best team to me right now, besides USC, is Oregon State. And I know they really haven't played anybody at a high level, but they look like the most solid team on both sides of the ball. And I mean I'm just a realist. You know, I bet money, so I can easily bet against Oregon, John. Easily. There it is, Mark in Portland. That is kind of a good point because I mean maybe we are overrating Oregon a little bit, John. I mean it was maybe. a it was a tough win at Texas Tech. I mean Dan Lanning has he proven that he is an elite coach mm. in this situation? Or are we still questioning no. that? There is a question here as to which coaching staff is a better game coach. And I mean, could we argue that Dion and his staff is better than Oregon and their staff? Yes, yes, you could. I think Sean Lewis on the offensive side of the ball. If we look at all the coordinators in that game, 
he's the best coordinator. And so Colorado's offensive coordinator is the best coordinator in that game. So will that be enough of a factor to, uh, you know, sort of alleviate the talent disparity? Oregon's defense against Colorado's offense? I'm leaning that Oregon wins that. I kind of agree with you that Oregon's, you know, I'll make my pick in week four, but right now I think Oregon wins that game, and I think they win by double digits. Patrick's in Salem. Go ahead, Patrick. Hey, John, I agree with you on the the double digit thing, and I think the environment aspect is going to play a big role. I mean, everybody's all, like game days at Colorado this week, I don't think anybody's going to be at our place as far as game day or Fox or whatever, so they're not going to be following Dion and his team to, to Austin. And I think Austin's just going to be a different animal that they've had to deal with in the last three games. And uh, um, I would say even if they, they did keep it under 10, that would be a that would be a pretty solid performance. I would be sold on Dion, Dion's team if they did come within 10 at Austin against Oregon. So um, picking them to win, no, not at all. It's a totally different thing that he's going to have to handle in Eugene next Saturday, two Saturdays. Different, different animal. Yeah, a couple Saturdays away. Um, caveat, you got to keep Bo Nix healthy this week. I mean, that's vital, right? That's vital for Oregon's whole season, which is why I didn't like Bo Nix running around in the second and third quarter against Texas Tech. That was effective. Oregon was moving the ball and, you know, getting points. But I was going, ah, it's not where you want to live if you're the Ducks. It's not the place you want to live. Let's go to Jack, who's in Portland. Jack, welcome to the program. Yeah, you know, I don't care if it's Amazon Prime, Optimus Prime, USDA Prime, or Coach Prime. <laughs> Oregon's going to walk away with that W because of their inability to have run attack, stop run attack, and Oregon is just going to flat out win that turnover battle. So I don't care what the score is. Oregon is going to walk away with that W. I wouldn't be surprised if it's by two or more scores. Appreciate that. I think there's a you can construct a an argument for Colorado. I do. I don't think that I can construct a straight-faced argument for Colorado winning that game unless Bo Nix is hurt or... Oregon turns the ball over somehow three times, and Colorado comes in and plays lights out. And it's possible, like you know, Colorado's got some guys, they got some players, but I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't heard anything here that's changed my mind. By the way, the poll now up to three hundred seventy votes and counting. Um, the poll is showing about forty-one percent of the people believe that Oregon will be favored by five to nine points. Several people on Twitter showing that they don't know how to read the question, uh, who are replying going, you idiot, the point spread is posted. What will the point spread be when it kicks off in week four? Game kicks off. Not what it is now. Not when it's posted. When the game kicks off, what will the spread be? Meaning, I want to know where the money's going to go. The consensus seems to be five to nine points. Uh, let's go to Patrick in Salem. Patrick, go ahead. Patrick, you're there. You're listening to the radio. All right. Uh, let's go to Mark, who's in Beaverton on line one. I want to bring Mark on. Go ahead, Mark. What do you think? Oh, hey, John. Sorry. I just got to yeah. talk with Judah. Yeah. Okay. So here's my criteria why Oregon will not win by double digits. I think game day will be there. Game day loves Coach Prime. And game day loves Oregon, so I think mm. it's it's a it's a classic matchup. Oregon will be playing Hawaii next week, with it, which is a soft opponent. 
So I, I don't think that's going to get them battle ready to take on Colorado. And let's face it, Colorado has surprised everybody. And the more I listen to um, Coach Prime's, you know, his interviews, talking to his team and everything, I think they're going to get, you know, they're still upward trend. So I think Oregon could win by, and yeah, win by eight. Oregon by eight. But what will the spread be? That's the question when that game kicks off. All right, I have to pivot to the real world in the NFL. Coming up, we'll talk about the week two of the NFL and the biggest matchups on the board. Aaron Rodgers has posted on Instagram during this show, thanking everybody who has reached out to him, and he says, quote, the night is darkest before the dawn, and I shall rise yet again, end quote. Sounds like he's coming back. Steven, is he coming back? I mean, it certainly sounds like it. I mean, why doesn't he just say, hey, I plan on coming back next season? Why can't we just be clear with these things? Cooler. It's movie-like. You know? Like, I I actually think that that was pretty strong. You know, it's not... It's creative. Do you think Aaron Rodgers came up with that, or he has a guy that came up with that? Oh, he's got a guy. They all got a guy. So, Aaron... It shouldn't be Aaron Rodgers put this on Instagram. It should be Aaron Rodgers approved the Instagram post... I kind of think I would have went a little more Mel Gibson and Braveheart. Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! I would just posted that if I was Aaron Rodgers. You know? Like, that would be more effective. But, um, by the way, um, you've got a bunch of people who are... You think there'll be a betting line on that? They probably will be. When will Aaron Rodgers come back? And will well, he come back? I did see a betting line on who the Jets are going to sign or trade for. Is, is that, that poor form? Do you think the gambling places should, like, cool it, like, <laughs> with an injury thing like that? Or, no, is that just business? I think it's just business because they also have, you know, first quarterback to be benched or first coach to be fired. So I, I think they've already kind of set the precedent of nothing's really off limits at this point. I, I say that knowing that, you know, we watched 9-11 happen and DraftKings put out a 9-11 themed bet on its app, bearing the title Never Forget. We talked about that a couple days ago, but DraftKings has now apologized for the 9-11 themed bet promotion, saying we are uh, basically we're degenerates, but we're not insensitive, and we have recognized the, the, wrong, the wrong turn that we took. Um, so that's happening. Uh, meanwhile, the NFL Players Association is calling for grass in all stadiums after the injury to Aaron Rodgers. Torn Achilles tendon, fourth play of the Jets season Monday night, spoiled his return. The uh, MetLife Stadium, home of the Jets and the Giants, has a new surface. It's field turf, so- softer, right, more forgiving than synthetic turf. But a lot of people looking at it going, uh, if you had grass out there, it, it wouldn't have happened. Do you think, because there's a financial element to this, do you think the NFL will listen to the Players Association calling for grass fields. Um, Roger Goodell said that the league's aware, 
but said also that there are some players who like to play on a turf field because it's faster. Yeah, I mean, I think there is the financial aspect to it, and I think that there's been more players that have been outspoken and talking about how they don't like it. And so I do think at some point the NFL is going to have to not change their mind, but they're really going to have to listen to what's going on and maybe even take a poll of every single player, like, what do you like? Or, you know, um, David Bakhtiari was talking earlier, former Aaron Rodgers teammate, offensive lineman on the Packers. Uh, You know, I have this sound here. I'm going to pull it up real quick. Yeah, play it. Yeah, but he was talking about how everybody he knows hates playing on turf. And the fact that, you know, he has been in the league so long now, he feels comfortable talking about it where a lot of people won't talk about it because they're uh, still starting their their career. So here's David Bakhtiari on that subject. Uh, I I don't think there's a need for it. There's definitely not a need for it anymore. The only thing I can wrap my mind around it is it is aesthetically pleasing for TV. And it's a borderline, it's a carpet that's nice to put stadiums on uh, or to put platforms on so you can host other concerts and events easy and not have to clean up. And it's it's fits your bottom dollar better. But other than that, uh, when we talk about the game and player safety and if we keep advocating player safety and the importance of it, that's not, it's doing us a disservice. I, I can say firsthand, I, I, look, you can use whatever numbers you want and they do skew to show that like grass is safer than artificial turf. And then from a first person's perspective, like someone who's been playing the game for as long as they have, it sucks. No one enjoys playing on it. Everyone's too scared to talk about it. NFL, just be better, do something, be an advocate for us and help us out. I mean, you guys are the ones who keep on constructing these stadiums and look at football for its origin. We played on grass in, in rainy days, in snow, in mud. It's fun. It's supposed to be meant to be on grass. Let's not get away from that. Because I feel like we are starting to get away from it, and then eventually you're going to wake up. They're going to. It's going to wake up a monster that they don't want to deal with. And I think right now, I think it's a smart thing to do. Just address it. Quit ignoring it and address it now. Because if not, it's just going to get bigger and bigger. So because of that, John, I do think that the NFL will address it. Because like you said, this is a monster, a sleeping monster that they don't want to wake up. And it's one of those issues where they can make it easily go away, just mm. by just you know helping. easily, but not not affordably. Right. There's a there's a cost to this, and Goodell did this interview with ESPN where he was talking about it today, and he said that it remains a complex issue. Those are the words he used, complex issue, meaning it's expensive. And then he said the league's aware of it, but he also said this, quote, what we want to go go on is science. We want to go on what's best from an injury standpoint to prevent the injuries and give our players the best possible service to play on. He wants to go with science. Like, you know, um, that's interesting. Has to be a process. Has to be medical experts. But do we want to rely upon the league that said that concussions aren't a problem to to provide the science on that? Like, I, I trust the Players Association way more than I trust the owners on that one. Yeah, they've uh, the NFL is definitely not trustworthy in any situation like that because you're right about the whole concussion thing. So I, I think I think it's going to take more than just David Bakhtiari. I think it's going to take a guy like Aaron Rodgers or even a coach or two because Robert Sala, he came out and he said that he didn't blame the turf for no. the injury. And it's so contact injury. I mean, it, it's clear like when Rodgers is getting sacked, I mean, Leonard Floyd is twisting him around and leaning on him. I mean, there's a there's an Achilles issue there happening with his foot and his heel. Right, and, and so I think it's going to take more than just, you know, David Bakhtiari is going to take a guy like Patrick Mahomes or, you know, one of these high, 
you know, high class guys, high profile guys, maybe even some coaches to really get the NFL in the motion. But I think the NFL is going to have to start paying attention to it because if it keeps happening, people are always going to bring this up. Anytime there's an injury on turf, that's going to be the talking point now. I think it's worth um, the league looking at. But again, this is the league of denial. And uh, Roger Goodell is uh, at the front of the line when it comes to that. Uh, coming up uh, on the NFL games, of course, uh, you know, you saw week one's action. Week two, we're going to get Minnesota at Philadelphia tomorrow night. This is a big game on Prime Video. You can watch it. The Eagles have several players that are going to be out for this game. Uh, that will be the Thursday night game. I'm interested in seeing Minnesota and Philadelphia because these are two teams that we considered contenders a year ago and two teams that are in that pool where we say, hey, can they get to the Super Bowl? Both those teams are in that pool. Um, the games on Sunday, big matchups on Sunday, include the Seahawks are going to Detroit. Lions look good in their opener, getting that win last Thursday night and some extra time to prep. I want to see what Kansas City looks like coming off a week one loss. They'll go to Jacksonville uh, for their game. You've got the Niners playing at the at – the, uh, is it they're, – they're playing the Rams, I think, this week. Niners-Rams, that's yes. right, yeah. And then you've got um, yeah, the Jets. It was going to be a big game. The Jets are at Dallas. How will the Jets look in their first official game without Aaron Rodgers in uniform in any capacity? Um, kind of curious to see if they can if they can rally for a second one there, but uh, not optimistic. And then is there a game that you really are tuned into that, that's coming up? The Monday night game is New Orleans at Carolina. Um, I am interested to see what this Jets-Cowboys game is because I think this could be a real defensive battle. I know the Cowboys – shut out the Giants in the first week and scored, you know, 40-plus, but a lot of it was defensively. I think this could be a really low-scoring ball game, so I'm interested in that. I, I also, you know, as a kind of Jaguar fan, I'm excited to see the Chiefs play the Jags again. Mm-hmm. Um, Jags are three-and-a-half-point three, three point dogs at home to the 0-1 Kansas City Chiefs. Are the Chiefs really going to fall to 0-2 in this season? I mean, they, they played in the playoffs last year. It was a close game. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is really good. So I think those are the two games I'm looking forward to. I'm uh, I'm just looking forward to any football. But we'll see how Minnesota looks at Philadelphia on Thursday night football at game uh, 515 tomorrow. All right, coming up, the 5 at 5. Anna will be along to give us the five biggest stories going on in sports. Find out what's happening there. If you're just catching up, uh, we started today talking about Adam Silver's comments. He uh, says there's been no discussion among the Board of Governors in the NBA about uh, compelling a sale of the Trailblazers. Well, I say to that, get busy with it. This is not a first-class organization. It's an embarrassment. And I wonder, if it were the Lakers, if it were a prime, visible franchise in the NBA's world, would uh, would Adam Silver feel differently? Would he be interested in compelling a sale if that were the case? And it's coming up. We'll talk about the five biggest stories. Plus, Jonathan Smith. Oregon State football coach will be along at about 520. Want you here for that. Leave it here. Well, I wrote today about the sad story, a sad story today, but also one that, you know, I think people who uh, understand Milwaukee High School understand that Roland Amuller's contributions to that school were immeasurable. Giant, giant person, giant heart. Six foot three, played offensive line at Portland State. Suited up as a replacement player in the NFL with the Houston Oilers during the strike in 1987. Remember that? Terrific run blocker as a player. Then became a fixture as an assistant coach at Milwaukee High School. Making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for kids. 
showing up at volleyball matches and basketball games and wrestling matches and coaching kids. He died on Friday. Coach Om, as they knew him, was 59. He died on the team bus on the way back from the Milwaukee high school game against Park Rose. Milwaukee won the game. Coach Om took a nap on the way back. At least people thought he was napping. And they realized when they arrived back at Milwaukee High School that he was in trouble. They tried to wake him up. They tried CPR. Roland Omular was 59. When a person dies too young, people say things. They always say things like this. They say, he died doing what he loved. Died surrounded by those who loved him. I actually think that's true in the case of Coach Om. Um, he passed away at the age of 59. It got me thinking about uh, teachers and coaches I had as a kid. Anna stepped into the studio. As I'm writing that column today, Anna, I, I was thinking about people who had impacted me as a child or as a uh, young person in high school in particular. And I thought about Coach Jim Fahey. He was a PE coach at my middle school. And the guy could have been a Navy SEAL. He was a stud. And I honestly mean that. Like, physically, I remember him looking like he was 25 years old. I, I looked it up today. He was 53 when he was my middle school PE coach and wrestling coach. He later coached. Uh, he was an assistant coach on the high school football team that I played on. And people may remember the 1960 Cal Poly football team had the plane crash they had 48 people aboard this plane plane crashed on the way to a football game and 22 members of that team died uh in that plane crash 26 survivors including the two pilots uh and the crew and coach Fahey I remember one time at practice we asked him about the plane crash because John Madden the story was that John Madden was afraid to fly the broadcaster John Madden John Madden played at Cal Poly and so everybody always thought John Madden was on the plane. He wasn't on that plane. He was, uh, John Madden had graduated a year or two before at Cal Poly. But Coach Fahey was on that plane. And he gathered us around one day, and he talked about the plane going down. He broke his back. He had internal injuries. And he was carrying other players and other survivors and non-survivors out of the wreckage and uh, was a survivor of that plane crash. And I got to be honest with you, like, he is the toughest SOB that I had ever been around. And the greatest example I could give of that, he was also a little bit nutty, but I'm not going to go there. He was a little bit squirrely. Uh, this is the kind of stuff he would do. The example I wrote about today, we were he was coaching running backs when I was a high school senior. And I was playing defense. I was a defensive back. And the offense was working on... Um, an inside running play that really had some tricky timing to it. And he was getting frustrated that the running back wasn't hitting the hole fast enough. So the hole was opening, and the running back was waiting for the hole to open before he would kind of run full speed through the hole. And he was like, that's not how the play goes. It's a quick hitter. The running back has to go. Like, from go, you are bursting forward, and you are running full blast right step one. And you hit the hole, and you trust that the hole's going to be there when you get there. You don't wait to see it. And so I'll never forget this. He was so frustrated, he jumped into the drill. We're in full pads, helmets and pads. 
He jumps into the drill, and he gets down in a three-point stance. He says, get out of the way to the running back. Gets in a three-point stance. He's in jeans and a T-shirt. <laughs> and he says, run the play. Snap the ball. And everybody's going, coach, you don't have pads. Out. Snap the ball. <laughs> so they snap the ball. He hits the hole. I've never seen a blur of, you know, P.E. coach like that. Hits the hole full blast. Bounces through the offensive and defensive line. Runs past the linebackers. I encounter him in the secondary. There ain't no way in hell I was going to try to tackle him. He was running like a bullet. He ran about 20, 25 yards down the field, spiked the ball, and said, that's how you do it. <laughs> Classic. That guy, though, I'll be honest, he, I looked him up. He died. He died three years ago. He was 83 years old, died of cancer and emphysema and, um, you know, a couple other things. But it, it struck me. I go, gosh, I never really had a conversation with him. That guy was an impactful human being. He impacted so many kids who came through his PE classes, so many kids that he coached over the years. He could have gone on and done anything he wanted to in life. That guy, he was a superstar. Just like Coach Om, he could have done anything in life, and he chose to spend his time on kids. And I just want to take a minute today. If you're a coach, if you're a teacher, if you're a counselor, if you're a youth sports coach and you donate your time and you volunteer and you show up for kids, bless you. And for those of us who don't do those things, Maybe we could just think of that person like Coach Fahey in my mind or Coach Om in the minds of so many others who was that person and give him a fist bump wherever you are, Coach Fahey. Uh, you know, you, you help so many kids. Yeah, I think about it in two ways. I mean, I think about the, ki the coaches and the teachers um, and counselors in our kids' lives right now. Um, all three daughters, you know, that have helped raise our kids. Like, that's how I see it is these are the people that are in our community that, um, you know how it is, like you can try to coach your kid, but they're often going to take coaching much better from some trusted adult who is not you. And even right now, like we've got, you know, Soji's soccer coach, Polly, who is incredible. She was so desired as a soccer coach that she expanded her soccer team to like two different teams a and b like 16 seven year old girls who all wanted coach polly and there's there's incredible blessing in that there's people who step up that we live around that are like the parents of our daughter's friends who jump in there and give their time to make a difference in our kids lives and as you talk about coaches that we've had in the past that made a difference the coach that comes to mind for me is a guy named mike loro uh, he was my softball coach growing up, just the most easygoing guy, um, couldn't have weighed more than like 135 pounds, 130 pounds. He wasn't a big guy, but we called him Big Mike. And he had these handlebar, he had a handlebar mustache. He really understood softball and coached in such a kind way that like every year I, I wanted to play for Mike. I love that. And that, he was like, like, you know, what did he do for his job? He was like a bartender right. at Nick's Coney Island. Yeah, because you, know? you have to, because you make 12 <laughs> cents an hour coaching the teams. Like, you, it's not oh, a that job. Was like a, that was a volunteer. Yeah, it's, it's not, not a, a job. Yeah. But I also think it extends beyond uh, the coaches. It extends to yearbook advisors. It extends to the newspaper advisor. It extends to, you know, the person who was in charge of student council. There's, yeah. you know, there are a lot of uh, teachers that will spend their lunch hour um, you know, conducting clubs for students yeah. on campus. Mm -hmm. And I had a, a counselor at the high school I was at. He, 
he uh, said, hey, you should go on a college tour. I hadn't been on any college tours. It was my senior year, and mm-hmm. he was like, took me over to Santa Clara University just to say, hey, here's a college tour. Here's what you do. And I, I'm grateful for those people that were that were in my life, and I think there's a lot of them out there now today still doing that stuff. So thank you if you're one of those people. All right, let's do the five at five. The five at five. Anna's number one story is... I got so lost in your talk about coaches that I totally forgot about the five at five. But yep. here it is. Here it is. Good thing I'm prepared. Uh, Aaron Rodgers breaking his silence, making his first comments since his season-ending injury. Ouch! His torn Achilles tendon that puts him out for the season. He was thanking people in, on Instagram, uh, thanking people that had reached out to him, that it meant a ton to him. He says he's heartbroken, moving through all the emotions. Uh, but he says, the night is darkest before the dawn, and I shall rise yet again. He ended the post by writing that he was proud of his team for starting 1-0. Has he risen before? He <laughs> came out of that darkest thing. No, no. he's rise. Like, he's down right now. But I'll he's rise ri- once again? Like, like did rise. It, oh, like, I will rise. Yeah, why I did, will why rise. not you say, I will rise, period? Yeah. I think there's a little yeah. too much. Um, <laughs> I don't want to think of him as Jesus. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. He is risen. Mm-hmm. But I, I think Aaron Rodgers gets picked on quite a bit. And I don't want to be one of those people who picks on him. So I'll say, get well. Yeah. Number two. Um, well, the whole Aaron Rodgers injury is sparking again. Uh, what I think is a really interesting conversation in the NFL about turf. Artificial turf compared to natural grass. So you've got the head of the Players Association, Lloyd Howell, calling for 32 NFL teams to use natural grass for their playing services. I guess that's all 32 yep. teams. Yep. Uh, he's saying definitively that the players overwhelmingly prefer natural grass, and the data is clear that the grass is simply safer than artificial turf. Now, Roger Goodell, in response, says... Complex issue. You have other players who like playing on the turf field because it's faster. It costs money. He says, you've got mixed op- opinions. We want What we want to go on is science. He represents the owners. We want to go on what's the best from an injury standpoint. Who's we, we right? Talk, we talked about this last hour a little bit, and Stephen played a great clip from David Bakhtari, who's an offensive lineman who basically was just saying, like, we get it. The, the, the field turf is it's easier for them to hold concerts on it and put platforms on it. It's, you know, it's a money thing. And... Roger Goodell is also saying, let's wait for the science. We want to examine this, you know, not let not overreact to Aaron Rodgers' injury. But that's really not what people are talking about. Artificial turf is never going to be the same as grass. Players were meant to play on grass. Can we just do what makes sense of what they were meant to do? You know? Number three, go. Uh, <laughs> I think it's interesting that uh, Alabama's football team served alligator for dinner before their game against USF. Um, One of the perks, apparently, of playing football at Alabama is being able to eat at the athletic department's $15 million dining facility. Um, It's got enough seating for 450 students. And apparently, prior to their game, Alabama served an entire, like a whole 
gator. Have you ever had gator? As their pregame meal. They serve it down. I lived in Tallahassee for a little bit. They serve yeah. some gator over there. Yeah. They have gator. You know, you, you can find alligator more easily there. <laughs> Tastes like chicken. But the USF, the USF mascot is Rocky the Bull. Why not have Rocky Mountain Oysters or something like that? Okay. Well, yeah. You know? Yeah, you could. You want to go all the way with it. <laughs> and that is going all the way. Number three. Um, what do you want to hear about? Do you want to hear about the NBA approving significant changes to resting players? Yes. Or USC's uh, death threats? Well, death threats against Lincoln Riley when he left Oklahoma. Uh, I want to hear first about resting players, and then I'll, I also want to hear about death threats. Okay. All right. Both. Um, the NBA's Board of Governors approved new provisions to punish teams for resting star players in national TV games and in-season tournament games, as well as resting multiple star players in regular season games. This is according to Woj. Adam Silver had a comment about this. Listen to the commissioner. I think there's an acknowledgement across the league that we need to return to that principle, that this is an 82-game league. And that, of course, doesn't mean that we're turning the clock back, that players are expected to play through injuries or that players, frankly, never need rest. But I think it's, there's a statement of a principle that if you're a healthy player in this league, that the expectation is that you're going to play. Once in a while, Adam Silver should say something that doesn't line up with the owner's viewpoints just to keep us guessing. <laughs> this is all just like what's best for the owners is that's what he should say. Yes, it's best for the owners that players play. Well, you know what? Why not play a little fewer games? Play some fewer games, you know, but I agree. Fans who go to games should see the star players on the court or space them out in a way that lets the players be rested and at their best. The league is defining star player, by the way, as any player to make an uh, all-NBA or all-star team in the past three seasons. It's a good Not thing the stars. Blazers don't have uh, any of those star players, so they will be they don't have to sit them out. They can, <laughs> they can sit out all they want. It doesn't matter. Eh, play who you want. They'll be skating by all those fines. 100000 for first offense, 250 for second offense is a million more than the previous penalty for each additional fine. Lincoln Riley got some death threats, huh? Is that number four? <laughs> Sounds like you're ready to move on. Uh, yes, he's saying that uh, amid his departure from Oklahoma, he and his family were subject to death threats. Um, he said that his family's safety uh, was in jeopardy. He didn't care about the house. He didn't care about anything else. He just cared about their safety. And there were strange things that were happening um, because... I, people were in Oklahoma were so upset that he was leaving. Unhinged. Unhinged. He should just say Oklahoma fans are unhinged. Multiple break-in attempts at his home in the days after USC officially named him as the head coach. That is wild. Get a hold of yourself. You're somebody trying to break into the coach's house because he left your team. Isn't that strange? It is strange. People are weird. Number five. Uh, well, Travis Kelsey... Have you heard this? Yeah, I have. I you saw did? this one. Uh, I knew this was you know, coming. You know what I'm surprised say? this wasn't the number one story. I like to order it you know? in terms of newsworthiness. Well, she, I always feel of. like she saves the best for last. Well, but the she most does. talkable. Can I play a little music under? Like, give you a little bit of music. I'm gonna give her a little Travis bit of music. Travis Kelsey. Hold and on, hold on, hold on. I'm. I'm gonna I'm give pausing. her. Steven and fade years out. I'm gonna fade up. All right. Then we'll uh, we'll be able to do this appropriately. Okay. 
Go ahead. Oh. Uh, well, he admitted two months ago that he had tried to give Taylor Swift his number. It was met with a mixture of responses. Some people said, hey, good try. Um, he didn't get to meet her uh, at the concert as he was trying to give her a friendship bracelet with his number on it. But he, they're quietly hanging out now. Kelsey has spoken this connection into existence. He's been quietly hanging out with Taylor Swift. She saw him when she was in... Okay, just so everybody knows, I, I had a hand held up to me to pause what yeah, I was saying. Yeah, you need to read the room. To wait for There's that. production going on here. Lyric. <laughs> um, so, no word on whether this was a link-up or link-up. What does quietly girl? hanging out mean? You're just, you're glossing over things. That's what is all quiet, I know. Like, Can I get somebody uh, of a proper age here with a two in their age to tell me what <laughs> quietly hey, hanging out hey, means? That's not very nice. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to interpret that. One of the interns is waving at me. It means uh, <laughs> they're hanging out. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for that insight. Who has the bigger profile? Oh, come on. Swifty. Yeah. She's, like, we talked about this. Yeah. There are two. <laughs> <laughs> Why haven't? For anyone who wasn't listening it's on Lionel Messi. one day two weeks ago. It's The question is who has the bigger profile from Lionel Messi or Taylor Swift? Uh-huh. That's it. Yeah. They're one. I think it's Swifty. I think she owns the world. Swifty? I think Taylor Swift is the most popular person on earth. Mm -hmm. And I think Travis Kelsey is big with NFL fans. Mm -hmm. That's a huge difference. Yeah. Okay. You know? All right. It's not Romeo right. and Juliet. Hey, don't chew my head off over it. I was just posing you're it. Very, as you're, a... you're very aggressive about this, right. John. <laughs> But I just can't. Down, I'm appalled. Swifty. I'm Speaking a... of Swifty, <laughs> you had the Taylor geez. Swift song ready to go. I'm appalled. Bring your blood pressure down already. <laughs> I'm appalled. Though. But this isn't Romeo and Juliet, okay? Because <laughs> you got you're gonna want to make it that. It's uh, not. No, I'm not. This is I'm like really Juliet's not. gone slumming. Okay. Oh. Travis Kelsey's not Burn. on her level. He's not. It's cool for us because okay. we we can talk well, about Messi's it. Messi's married, so. Like who else? Who else? Who should? Who else is on her level if not Travis Kelsey, Super Bowl champ? Um, she to me should it, she should be with somebody that is on the caliber of like Patrick Mahomes, but he's taken. All right, so yeah, maybe Kelsey's the mo the highest available player. Should she be dating a millionaire like Elon Musk? You know what? No. She should be dating Tom Brady. Huh? Does that work? No. I Do don't... their ages work? <laughs> I don't. Well, I have no sense. No, I How just. How old is Tom Brady? Fifty. I have no sense either. I, I mean, it's Hollywood, so you could make it work, but they don't. Is Matthew McConaughey in a like, relationship? Yeah. Well, Swift's yeah. only like yeah. mid thirties. She's mm -hmm. mid thirties. Yeah, she's like my age. Hmm. We've really seen her grown up. Grow up. That's weird. she's a she's a she is one of these rare stars that kind of peaked. Yeah. And then plateaued for a little bit, mm -hmm. and then peaked again, mm -hmm. plateaued. Now she's skyrocketing. Shouldn't she date like Justin Herbert or something like that? Yes, exactly. Justin Herbert? Better better Is choice. He single? You know what? This might be love. <laughs>
<laughs> this might be love because you know why? It doesn't make sense from a marketing standpoint for her. She doesn't need him. Uh-huh. This is not a romance that is born of um, like convenience or, hey, this would be great for our brands because he doesn't help her. Yeah. So I actually believe they're quietly hanging out. Uh-huh. This is not just a thing pushed out there by some publicist. Yeah. Well, good for them. Yeah. Thank you, you Anna. Yeah. Appreciate you. Real heated All right. Uh, Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, is coming up. When that song comes around in the bump music, it's always kind of like it's a little bit Art Bell. It's a little bit like I should be talking to aliens and UFOs or something. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach. Kind enough to join us uh, every Wednesday in this segment. He's made time for us. 2-0, and feeling pretty good. Uh, did you listen to the radio as a kid? Did you have, like, sports radio on? Did you listen to Art Bell? What did you, were you around a radio? Yeah, yeah. Uh, listen to Vin Scully, right, at the Dodgers okay. uh, growing up, ton. Uh, Jim Rome in the jungle. Okay. Uh, getting closer to junior high, high school age. I remember listening to those two. Is it weird for you, then, to go on Jim Rome's show? <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit uh, different, but uh, I don't know what different, but yeah, this guy's been around a long time and smack off. You know, he used to, maybe he still does it. Uh, yeah. All those callers would come in and they'd be funny and he's talking trash. And, Do, you yeah, have a guy? So Do you have a guy on your team that could win the smack off? Oh, gosh. You know, probably. You know, you know who's, who's not bad is Joe Golden, uh, D. Lyman. Okay. Uh, they did it a little during camp, got up there, and it was doing some kind of rapping but talking trash, and he did awesome at it. Yeah, I was, we were talking about Taylor Swift in the last segment. She's, I guess she's dating Travis Kelsey. Big story now, um, so we have to talk about it. Uh, but is, is there a, a guy on your roster that you would think would have a Taylor Swift song on his uh, playlist? Oh, gosh. Or is, um, that a, is that a bad, is that a negative thing? Yeah. Yeah, I thought you were going to go because I just, my daughter's been crushing me on getting tickets to go see her, you know. You haven't taken her? No, I don't. <laughs> don't nope. you love her? No, I don't you love her? I, <laughs> I, I do. I, I've got a few songs on the, on the yeah. phone and playlists of hers, but my daughter for sure has a ton. Uh, we'll try to make that happen at some point. Those tickets are pretty expensive, though, oh. man. Yeah, and I got my oldest, my, my uh, college kid who's on your campus is, she acted like she didn't want to go, and then in the 11th hour, she goes, Dad, I really kind of want to go. And then I looked up the tour dates. I'm like, do you want to go to, uh, do you want to, go to Australia and see her? Like, that's where she's right. headed. You know, <laughs> so uh, I'll see you in Australia at the Sydney Opera House or wherever she's going to play. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, but I did hear, uh, I hear Nick Dashwell got some type of connections or something. Yeah, yeah he, was, he, did. he got hooked up. He got on the early uh, list. He's a, he's a big-time Swifty. Uh, John yeah. Smith is with us. Hey, uh, you guys uh, are two and zero. What did you get out of week two? You beat UC Davis. You got a lot of guys on the field. Come out healthy. You feel good about it? You know, yeah, we did feel good about it. Um, I really just uh, pleased with kind of the maturity of this team of approaching it. Uh, you know, knowing we had to prepare well and play well, and I thought we did that from the start. Um, again, you know, UC Davis. They, that's it's a good program at that level. Dan Hawkins does a great job, but that's a game we should win. Um, and just because of that fact, I thought our approach was great. These guys came out and played well. There was definitely benefit to getting more, uh, you know, a lot of guys in the game uh, because they do. They work hard during practice and then get a chance to get out in the game and show what they can do. So we, And early in the season, you got to build some depth. I mean, this is a physical game where guys are going to you know, miss some time here or there. you got to have this next, next man out mentality. So them getting game experience is huge. 
eight Pac-12 teams in the top 25. Conference is going to be a gauntlet. How do you prepare your team for that, or is that just a thing where you go, hey, it's great that we have great teams in the conference, but we got to control what we can control? Yeah, well, I think we've approached each year. I mean, we, this conference has always been highly competitive, um, and so we, we take it a week at a time. we got a, a, a opponent this week that's going to be very similar to physicality and speed of play, a lot of the teams in the league, and so you you know that you're going to have to earn it. Uh, you know that you got to play your best ball in November, and how you do that, well, you can t- keep preparing, learning from games and improving, because uh, it is. These games, I, I mean, I don't study everybody yet, but – it does look like there's a lot of talent, uh, schemes, guys are winning. It's going to be a, a tough road. There's some really good teams at the top. The thing that I've noticed is I think the bottom of the conference and the middle of the conference are better than they were a year ago, and I think that makes it really difficult because there's no mulligans. I mean, there's just not a there's not many opportunities anyway where you go, okay, this is a game we should win, like you were just saying with UC Davis, but I even look now and Cal looks better. Stanford looks a little better. Um, you know, Washington State is much much improved. They seem to have put it together, and I think it's going to make the conference fun. But again, there's a chance you guys could cannibalize each other. Yeah, it, it, it you know, could happen. Uh, you know, again, it's competitive. Um, a little bit of message to our team is like, who looks good here in September? I go back to how you how you're finishing and playing November. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's going to be competitive, man. You know, there's no doubt. Uh, we definitely are just locked in on on this week because we got an opponent coming in here as has a history of beating Pac-12 teams yeah. left and right, and uh, that's what we're focused on. What did you see on film? You watched them against UCLA. Yep, uh, they, they they attack. It's like an attack front. The movement on defensive line uh, going to challenge you. Not uh, not they got some different looks that you don't see week in and week out defensively. That showed up. I think offensively they make the thing physical. I think the quarterback is gifted in regards to his athleticism, can make some throws. They're right in that game. I know it, it was lopsided at the end of the, the score, but they got the ball on the one foot line going in. They turned it over another time. They turned it over on the one yard line, and then they turned it over another time. That's a different game if they, uh, you know, execute at that point. Jonathan Smith with us, Oregon State football coach. This week, Aiden Childs turns 18 years old. Blows me away that he's 17 running around the field for you last week. But what has it meant to get him some reps in weeks one and two? Yeah, it's been huge. Uh, we wanted to, you know, we saw him in practice, and obviously we've been excited about it. And he's talented and, and all that, but there's nothing like game experience. And so to be able to continue to get him in the game. And, and he's played well, man. I mean, he's gone in, operated. We haven't changed the offense. We're asking him to do the same things with the line of scrimmage. He's been accurate with the ball. Obviously, his athleticism at the same time. He's you know tucked the ball and gone, I think, in each game. Had some good carries. And so it's great. And I, I do. You know how long this season is. And, you know, like I said, things happen. We want to have as many guys as we can ready to play. All right, how do you balance, okay, because, you know, the San Jose State game, you got some guys out early, but, you know, it was it was a real game. And then UC Davis, you really did play a lot of guys. How do you balance kind of trying to prepare your team, trying to keep your team healthy, but also making sure that you're working on stuff that you're going to need when you get into a game that, you you know, that you need all hands on deck? Yeah, I, I mean, we, we approach each game like it's going to go for four quarters, and, and we know that's coming. Um, and so we haven't been holding anything back, I don't know, schematically. We haven't, you know, been in the situation of some serious stress in the fourth quarter yet. Uh, but it's, it's coming. I think our guys understand that. There's going to be some back and forth. Comp- competition's going to keep getting better and better. 
I think about it a little bit. You know, we're on tape now, whatever. We've played two games, so there's a video of us, offense, defense, special teams. There's good coaches that we're going to be playing against. Any flaws we have, they're going to try to attack that. So we got to continue to, you know, fix our issues so we don't get exposed with them. I don't – yeah, I look at you guys and – I'm a little surprised at how good you look on defense, especially in week one. You guys looked really good. And I expected the, with the loss of leadership that you might not look that great. Like it might, there might be a growth curve. Am, am I missing something? Did you feel like in week one and last week defensively that you guys are maybe ahead of schedule? Well, you know, I think, again, the, the defense last year, the back half of the season played lights out. Um, and so, you know, we got to that point because that team last year continued to improve throughout and played at a really high level. I do think there's some confidence. Uh, there's a standard on defense. Um, the line of scrimmage, uh, these guys have affected the passer to kind of help the back end. I, I will say the back end has played solid. Jaden Robinson is playing at a really, really high level. He had a couple of pass breakups in that San Jose State game. The way we're tackling on the back end uh, has been huge, limiting the explosive plays. Um, and so, yeah, short, small sample size. But after two weeks, there's no doubt we're playing good defense. I wrote today about a coach at Milwaukee High School who passed away. He died on the bus on the Friday night as they were coming back from their game. They won. And um, and, and it got me thinking about all the coaches that are out there working at high schools. You see them when you're out recruiting. You talk to these guys. They're, they just love kids. A lot of them are just doing it because they love to be around kids, love to help kids. What is that like for you to when you get to – rub elbows with coaches who are really in it because they're just trying to promote kids and help kids. Yeah, great appreciation for them. Because uh, there's a lot of hours and sacrifice to doing that. Um, especially, and there's a lot of these high school coaches that are all about the kids and developing and helping build their self-esteem through this great game of, game of football. I mean, I lived that experience when I was a player. had awesome high school coaches that, you know, the relationship mattered on and off the field. Um, so got great appreciation for them. They're really doing it as a sacrifice given back. Sure, I'm sure they love the game and all of that, but how they're impacting their players is um, something really special. All right. Uh, you got this game Saturday. Obviously, you want to get a win. Is there something else that you have uh, made an area of emphasis with your team that you can share publicly? Well, like I was saying, I think we've got some things on tape that we can get exposed to. I'm not going to go into great detail, but it's in all three phases. And so those are some emphasis that we want to make sure we tighten this up. Um, and I want to see that on Saturday. Uh, I do think San Diego State's a physical team now, on, and they're all three phases. So we got to be able to match. And, and I feel like we, <laughs> we're we a physical team, too. And so we want to match that up and see where we go toe-to-toe and, and play well. Home crowd again. This place jumping is going to be a big factor. Love the fact that we're kicking off at 1230. Mm. You know, it's it's fun stuff and make sure we're enjoying that. I'll be there for that 1230 kick. I love that. Um, so I'm looking at Taylor Swift's tour now. Okay, February, your season's done. You get into late February and March. She's in Japan and Singapore. Then France. <laughs> then Sweden. Then Switzerland, Germany. Uh, on to Australia. Uh, if you, Where are you going to take her? <laughs> yeah, that's tough, man. That is tough. That would Take be her to awesome. Japan. Take her to yeah, Japan. Get overseas. Well, it's getting that age, too. Like, when's the fight? You got to take her out of school, unless you're, like, at spring break. Yeah. But, like, she's an eighth. Even in high, you know, I got a son in high school. Is it still okay to just take him out of school for a couple weeks just because yes. it fits my schedule? And I kind of think so. But I, I do. I convince my wife, too. Yeah, I think it, it would be great, and I think it would be a great father-daughter trip. And she's back in the United States, uh, you know, after, like, summer. 
she goes to Miami. So maybe you take her down to Miami. You get be a father daughter trip. You know, you, you, she'll never forget it. No, she wouldn't. That would be a that would be a blast. And I'm sure I'd love the concert too. I hear this concert's phenomenal. I'm not gonna say. Okay, I, I saw Taylor Swift when she was in Portland with my oldest years ago, and I'll tell you the best part of the concert was there's no line at the men's room. <laughs> you walk right in. Yeah, have it all to yourself. All to yourself. <laughs> line around the block on the other one. All right. Hey, no, good luck to you. Good luck to you. Uh, I will see you at the stadium. Stay healthy and uh, be inter- uh, be interested to see what you guys look like. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate it, John. Thanks, man. Okay. Take care. There's Jonathan Smith. Got the swizzle going. I mean, yeah, you could take your kid out of school. You're Jonathan Smith, the football coach at Oregon State. You can take your kid out of school, go see Taylor Swift. Yeah, he's got to make a memory. Like, I often think about coaches, especially coaches that are coaching on the level that he is in college football. Dan Lanning, Jonathan Smith, Lincoln Riley, Chip Kelly. Not so much Chip because, you know, he doesn't have a bunch of kids running around his house. But I think about the sacrifices that the wives and the families make in – not having dad around during the season and off recruiting and you know long hours and yeah i think uh totally permissible for jonathan smith to yank his kid out of school and go okay taylor swift is in munich germany on july whatever whatever date it is spring break go uh go check it out um all right uh, i've got tickets for the mariners two pairs of tickets to give away i want you to line up If you listen to the Jonathan Smith interview, and you can successfully answer a very simple question that I asked him, uh, you will win a pair of Mariners tickets. I have two pairs to give away, 503-417-7575. Membership has its privileges is what I'm saying. I've got two pairs of tickets to see the Mariners that I want to give away. Are we giving them away to one person or two? One lucky person. One lucky person will win. Two pairs of tickets to see the Mariners, so you're going to get to go to two different games, one lucky person. All right? Uh, The games that we have are uh, for a Monday and Tuesday, September 25th, September 26th, against the Houston Astros. And I've got uh, a pair of tickets to each game. They're yours. Do with them what you please. I'm going to go to the phone lines. I'm going to ask a simple question that Jonathan Smith was asked and if you can tell me what he said as the answer, you will win. Our first contestant is Rachel in Happy Valley. Rachel, welcome to the game show. Thank you. How are you doing? Pretty good. How are you? I'm well. I uh, am curious. You were tuned in, and did you, did you just happen to listen? Uh, what is your listening habits as it pertains to this show? Um, my husband always listened, and I started listening more intently with all the Pac-12 drama. So okay. it hits our commute, so we like to have it on the car on the way home. This could be very fortunate for you. Now, okay. who will go to the Mariners game if you win the two pairs of tickets? I don't know. We have a five-year-old boy who might like to go, um, mm-hmm. or maybe me and my husband will make a date out of it. We'll see. All right. It's, they're your tickets. You can do what you want with those tickets. Okay. All right. So here's the deal, Rachel. Uh, Jonathan Smith was asked which player on his team – could win the Jim Rome smack-off. He thought for a moment, and it popped into his head, and he named a certain defensive lineman on his team. The first name of this player is Joe. What is his last name? 
Oh, man, I didn't hear that. I thought you were going to ask which radio shows did he listen to when he was okay. younger. It's the same, but, you know, he listened to Jim Rome. But mm-hmm. uh, do you want to take a, take a stab at it? Like, you know, defensive lineman, Oregon State, first name Joe. I don't remember. Okay. Sorry. Next time, <laughs> next time you'll get it. Thank you, Rachel, and Happy Valley for playing. Am I, am I being too difficult? Is that a hard question? I would say it's not an easy question, but it's uh, it's doable. Okay. She could have. I mean, she could have cheated and just like Googled the answer right there on the spot. Should I change the question for the subsequent? Yeah, listeners? I do feel like that because you put you put his name out there. Okay. Now the now these callers maybe they're cheating. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a uh, more difficult. Or just question. go with it. You okay. Do no, 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 no. All right. I'm going to go. Thank you. Thank you for letting me. It's my show. You're welcome. J.D. is in Vancouver. J.D., how you doing? I'm going to change the question on you, though. It was Joe Golden, John. <laughs> You're not going to get it, oh though. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, going, did you, you know that? Did you know that, or did you yeah, have to look it up? I've been listening. I love John. Okay. All right. All right. So uh, who goes to the game if you win the tickets? You know, honestly, I think my, my nephew, he just got done with All-Stars Baseball a um, month ago, and he, he won MVP, so I think I'd make a trip out of it and take him up and maybe try to get my wife to the other game. I don't know. All right. Here's the question. Yeah. I gotcha. mentioned to Jonathan Smith that, you know, he won comfortably in week one and won comfortably in week two, and he got a chance to get a certain player some work. What is the name of that player? Um. Oh, shoot. The backup quarterback, the 17-year-old, 18-year-old kid. Um, do, do, man. Do, do, do. All right. I can't remember his name. I had Golden on my mind. Aiden Childs would have been the Ed correct Childs. answer oh my gosh. to that. All right. All right. Well, you, you, uh, got, you had Joel Golden on your mind, but not Aiden Childs. All right. I'm going to put you back on hold. <sighs> Two down. Two down. Next, we'll go to John in Portland. John in Portland. Hello, appreciate, John. appreciate you calling in. Give us your listening habits. Uh, you listen every day, just happen to catch it. You're in a Uber and the driver has it on. What you know? What caused you to listen? Uh, yeah, I talked to you before. Listen uh, as I'm uh, navigating through my day here in the uh, Portland area. So okay. pretty much five days a week. All right, love it. All right, here's the question. We were talking a lot about Taylor Swift during the interview. I mentioned to Jonathan Smith the best part about being at a Taylor Swift concert was what? The men's bathroom has zero lines. (laughs) You got it, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you for that. You got it right. Who's going to the game with you? Um, If I can uh, get a hold of my buddy Chris from Corvallis, I'm taking him. All right. I hope you get a hold of Chris. Otherwise, you're going yeah. alone to two games. John in Portland, hang on. Your next voice uh, will be Jeremiah, one of the interns who's going to handle uh, taking your uh, info. And uh, did I go too easy with that one, Stephen? No, no. I, you know what? I thought Aiden Childs should have been should have been right. I thought JD should have got it. Should have got it. Should have. That 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 was a, that was a good one. I, I felt kind of bad because Joe Golden was not a no brainer. No, that was it was a tough one. It's tricky, and Rachel Mena. The the misfortune that Rachel Mena had was being the first person. Definitely. You know what I mean? Because I think if she's not the first caller, 
she gets i i'm i'm almost certain rachel would have got the uh taylor swift answer right she was paying attention at the end of the interview felt kind of bad about that you know but I can't split the tickets up. They're they're telling me that's the rules. Steven, you gave me the rules. I did. Yeah, I, you asked, and I said no. Nope. Why won't they? Why won't they split the tickets up? They just don't want to deal with you know giving away pair here, pair probably there. It's more paperwork for me, probably. So you know, I kind of want to make it easier for myself. No bigger <laughs> prizes. We should give away single tickets. You know, instead of giving away two pairs, should be four winners. You got to go alone. You have to sit by another listener. You, you sit by the other winner. Yeah. <laughs> Two, two listeners of the show sit by each other. I, I wouldn't do that to people. I wouldn't. You know, <laughs> when I first started off in the newspaper business, the, uh, you know, the travel wasn't so great. I was working at a small paper. And this reminds me of a story. I went to Canada to do a story on Jeff Garcia, the quarterback of the Calgary Stampeders. And so I'm uh, being dispatched by a very small community newspaper where I started my career. Circulation was like 5000 Travel budget was super low. Had to get a lot of approval to go on this trip. And part of the approval was that the photographer, who was this kind of strange guy I didn't know that well, the photographer and I had to share a room on a, on a business trip. That's a weird thing, to share a room. Like, that never happened again. I was so happy, like, when I got to work at bigger papers and then larger papers and you know, nobody ever again asked to share a room. But I went on this uh, trip with this photographer named Terry, and, and, I, and I found out way too much about this guy, talking to me about it, everything going on in his life, you know. It wasn't like, it was just weird. I tried to spend as little time as possible. Like, if I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't in the room. Like, that would be a really weird thing. Like, Steven, love you, man. But if we go to Vegas, we're getting separate rooms, okay? You're not staying in my room. 100%, yeah, no doubt. I mean, we have uh, we rode out to Spirit Mountain that one time, and even that, it's like, eh, it might be, uh, that's about as long as we can stay in the car together. So <laughs> We don't want to be in the car yeah, any longer. Any longer, I'm done with you. But no, I'm with you. Vegas, we'll, we'll separate rooms in. There you go. But I just think, yeah, it would be weird to stake the single tickets and be like, you know what? Not only do you have to, four of you have to go together, you got to ride in the car together, you got to stay together in Seattle. Force friendship. And, there you and go. then re- report back to us. We could do dating. We could do like a dating show sometime. Well, that, I mean, only, that, that would work. I mean, if you go, you know, a date to the Mariner game. Only single people allowed to call in and win the tickets, and you're going as a one. Judah and me just have to Facebook stock them to make sure they're actually single. (laughs) Party of one. We took on that liability years ago on the show. It was probably 14, 15 years ago. We had a producer that was Steve Blake, the the NBA player, Steve Blake. His sister, Debbie, was the producer of the show. She was bellyaching for weeks leading up to to, uh, Valentine's Day. I was going to say Thanksgiving. Leading up to Valentine's Day, she was bellyaching about the fact that there are no good men out there. It was that refrain that we hear every year right around Valentine's Day. And Debbie was, you know, sort of just saying, there's nobody out there. There's nobody out there. So we held a contest, and we said, go on a date with Debbie. And so we screened people, and we sent her on five dates and five nights to the same restaurant. And lo and behold, she got engaged. We can do that. We found love. This is not Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Do you really love. want to risk your undefeated record, though? We are undefeated. I don't actually think the wedding happened, but they got engaged. Is that undefeated? <laughs> it's a win. 
We, I delivered them to engagement. As George Klyovkov might say, you can lead them to water, but you can't make them drink. Yeah, you, you got them there. They, you <laughs> know, they got to get in the goal. They got to get in the end zone. You can bring a $30 million deal to your presidents, but you can't make them take it. All right, we're back tomorrow with another great show. I appreciate everybody who makes this radio program part of their day. Get a podcast if you missed any of it. We'll be back tomorrow. The Bald Face Truth, not here for a long time. Just a good time.